Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grayson, as always, joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing? I am doing great. We are recording this live on my Twitch channel. So we've got a nice little audience here, and we've got a special episode planned with uh, just the two of us going over Ikoria and our each of our top eight cards in uh, in Ikoria for Pioneer. So uh, super excited to do this. Hope everything goes well. Um, we basically just planned this over the last 24 hours. Yeah. Screw uh, it, we're doing it live. <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully it goes off without a hitch. I think I've got everything set up. Uh, I will say this. So... Um especially when the podcast started. Um, and th- this is not an indictment anyway. This is not me complaining. But, you know, uh, I felt like myself and Brent did more of the heavy lifting. Like, Brent does all the heavy lifting behind the scenes. You know, you had never done a podcast before. Not really. You know, you've been, like, guest on some before. So, like, obviously, you know, more of it fell into my shoulders, which is fine. I was completely okay with that. For this show, Ross did, like, 90-something percent of the work, if not a higher number. Ross busted his ass, uh, did some stuff on uh, OBS that I have no idea how to do. And it looks amazing. Um, he would ask for my input. I'd be like, yeah, that looks good. I have no idea how to do any of that. You know. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that you did it because it got done. Uh, I was yeah. unbelievably busy the last two days. Plus, uh, I haven't felt the best over the last few days. And I'm just starting to feel myself today. I was worried. There was like the tiny bit of anxiety. I think I talked to you about this, that I had actually contracted the virus. Um, I figured it out. I somehow like injured myself in my like chest area or whatever like I was doing some lifting and stuff the other day I think I just like kind of strained myself or like hurt a muscle or something there a little bit maybe Benny is just like using you as a treadmill while you're sleeping there's a picture I actually put on the internet like yesterday or whatever um I did she woke me up super early in the morning to go out to the bathroom and whenever that happens if I try to go back to bed I just go on the couch because I don't want to wake my wife up getting back in bed and stuff right so um I went to sleep and fell asleep on the couch and she came into the living room and Benny was just sleeping on my chest while I was sleeping. And so there's a picture of like, you know, of me doing that. Maybe, maybe that did do it, but you know, um, I didn't have any of the other symptoms. So I was like, not actually worried, but I'm not gonna lie. Every time you like cough or sneeze oh, or have a little I bit, coughed like, the other day and I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. You're like Rona. Is that you? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is this, is this my time, you know, kind of thing. And, um, but no, I'm feeling a lot better today. I have more energy, you know, I'm like, a lot freer, freer in the movement and stuff too. So like, it made me believe that it was like an actual injury and not some form of sickness. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that was nice. Um, about the show, uh, I'm super excited about this today. Uh, we did our top eights. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. This. We have, we have top eights. We have most overrated card, most underrated card. Um, did you have a problem kind of narrowing it down to eight? I thought it would be easy, and then it proved to be a lot harder than I thought it would. Yeah, I, like, I I had a set of maybe, you know, 15-ish cards that I had to decide between. Um, though there there were some pretty clear tiers, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about specific cards. But yeah, you know, the, the, the first couple of cards on each list are definitely, like, almost interchangeable with a lot of other yeah. cards. So we're going to stay on the air once after we're done with the list and do a little, you know, Q&A with the audience. So please hang around for that. So if you want to talk about cards that, you know, maybe we didn't bring up and you're, like, well, why didn't you? Why don't you yeah. like that card? Or maybe you want clarification on anything? Uh, so please save a lot of your questions for the end, unless they specifically deal with the cards that we're talking about, and we can definitely field those at the time. Yeah, we will try to interact with the chat when we can, like when it's appropriate. It's going to be moving as much, and we're going to try to stay on topic when we can, because Lord knows if someone takes us off topic, we're going to make like a four-hour episode, 
or whatever. Which so. we've done before, but that was my doing, and Brent was, and Tannen were not happy. Yeah, well, we told you what was going to happen. You were like, no, no, it's going to be fine. You know, famous last words yeah. and everything. But, um, but yeah, and like... It, it was not fine. It, it was not fine. Narrative yeah. voice. <laughs> it was not Brent's fine. like, we, we were not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I have a, like, I thought it would be pretty easy. I was like, man, I might struggle to find eight cards that I legit want to put on this list of, like, cards that I think could be played in Pioneer. You know, because, like, if you think about, like, Eternal formats in the past... You know, you think about the classic sets, you'd be like, oh, maybe one or two cards makes it into something like Legacy or Modern. Unless a card is like shoehorned in. You're like, this card just screams Amulet Titan or this card just, you know, screams Is It Phoenix type thing. But with the way sets have been made the last two or three sets in a row, you're seeing Eternal formats get drastically changed with every one of these sets because these cards are very, very powerful. Yeah, and certainly Pioneer is a a different animal, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's less powerful relative to Modern and Legacy, so it's going to see more change. That said, you know, Theros Beyond Death brought Thassa's Oracle, Underworld Breach, uh, Uro, and Heliod, which are basically the four most successful decks in the last three months. Yeah. So completely reshaped the format. I don't think we're going to see that much impact from Ikoria, but that's a I very don't high think, bar to clear. Yeah, I don't think there's an Uro in this set, right? Yeah. There's, there's not an Oko in this set, and I'm, I'm starting to lump those cards together. I don't know if you've seen what's going on in, like, <laughs> standard, modern, oh, Legacy. Yeah. Oh, Have you seen Uro's what's going on in Legacy? everywhere. Like, Legacy is mono blue soup now. If anybody doesn't know what that means, it's just, like, a blue deck with... Like, your base it's, blue. Like, you're a force of will deck. It's five-color back-to-basics. That's what it... Yeah, because... The classic five-color back-to-basics archetype tannin. Yeah, with the, the card that I hate the most in Magic right now, Astrolabe. It's 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 creeping up to Sensei's defining top levels, but it's not there yet. Honestly, I'm, I'm more annoyed by Astrolabe than Sensei's top. I, you didn't have to play against I, it as much. Hate I played against Top plenty. That was back when we played Legacy on the SCG Tour. Yeah, that card was egregious. Like, and I played Elves, and I'm still telling you I hate our Afterlife yeah. more. Yeah, you generally had a decent matchup against uh, against that card, uh, right? It, it wasn't great. Uh, it was it wasn't favorable, but it was a lot closer than people thought. As long as you knew how to approach it from the Elves side, you know, okay. ga- game one when you were Elves, you just went balls to the wall and tried to kill them, and uh, you know if they had it, they had it, and you would lose. But the post-board games were very, very close, and you just like needed to be play very slow, pace your threats, and just grind them into a fine paste. Okay. Um, and you you could definitely do that, but it was still just incredibly. I just I cannot tell you how much I hate getting Crater of Behemoth Terminist. Oh, I can only imagine. Two things real quick. So I played in the Legacy Grand Prix that went on in Atlanta uh, towards the end of the last year. Um, I force of willed an Astrolabe in a game, and it won me a game. That is absurd. Like, the, 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 just that sentence itself, like, that thing happening is just, you know, absurd. Uh, two, uh, someone in the chat kind of made this point. This is something that I'm sure you've heard of people mentioning this. There's a, there's a, there's a byproduct of the bad part of what Astrolabe's doing is you don't get to play Sweet Basics anymore. Yeah. I you just know. have to play Snow Basics. That's like my like favorite three. part of putting deck. It's the only fun part of putting decks together. You know, yeah. putting paper decks together is really annoying. You have to go through your collection, figure out yeah. what you're missing. The only fun part is, ooh, what cool basics am I going to play? This let deck? me play with my beta lands. Like, let me play with my 25 yeah. year old basics, bruh. Like, I want, like, I own these for, there's a reason why I own 30 and $40 islands. Like, they're just an <laughs> yeah. island. There's a reason I own those. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why I have these cards. I want to play them. Like, I love making the joke when, um, I mean, you were sitting next to me once. I played some kid in one of the opens, and he was talking about, he's like, oh, you, you probably played before I was born. I was like, yeah, I definitely did. And then, like, 
I went and got an island in my deck. I'm like, this island's older than you are. Like, you know, like... You played before most current Magic players were born, I would guess. True. Yeah, it's very... Uh, yeah, very high. I would assume it's probably over uh, over 50%, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Very um, close. So, um, I have this big list next to me. And, uh, we, you know, we didn't have the um, this stuff set up to, to bring the cards up, so we're not going to talk about too much in particular. But did you have, like, a decent bit of near misses on cards that, that made your, your list? Because I definitely have, like five to ten cards that I was, you know, trying to figure... Like, my list has the the eight cards that I narrowed it down to, about ten of them, and yeah. just numbers scrambled next to it. Like, no, this one's more like a five, this okay. one's more like an eight, you know? That's exactly what mine is, too. It's literally, like, a list of 20 cards, and then with numbers next to the eight that I narrowed it down to. Yeah, exactly. So, so I made a Google Doc. Yeah, and it's like, it was hard to do this, so... Um, I mean, there was never a science to this for me, it's just the ones that I felt were, like, the most impactful for Pioneer, like, most likely to make decks. You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely a, a decent bit of cards in here, and we'll talk about it later, that, like, I think could impact some sideboards. You know, you might see them show up. You know, things like that, but... Yeah, there's there's sort of multiple ways that a card can impact a format, right? It can yeah. be a singular build-around card that creates a new archetype, like, um, or Archive a Phoenix. card that, like, really elevates an archetype, the way that Underworld Breach and Uro did. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, uh, you know, a... But just a, a very good card that sees a bunch of play across a variety of archetypes, uh, and that play can be both in main decks and in sideboards. And so now we have some cards like, like we have some cards like that this. on this list. Yeah, and so we 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 considered all of those potential ways that a card can impact the format uh, and and weigh them all in. You know, uh, you know, and then you know, that the, all of those things factor in. So it's not just looking for the most broken build around cards or combo enablers or things like that. It, it's literally like, you know, cards that are going to see play and see play in a variety of different facets. I will say without further ado, yeah, let's, let's reveal our number eights. Okay, so first, first, let's go with Tannin. All right, hopefully and this all works. Ketria Triome. So Tannin's cards are going to appear to the left of his list and mine will appear to the right of mine. So basically all my stuff will be at the top of your screen, all Tannin stuff at the bottom. Yeah, and yeah, for... One. Right, exactly. Yeah, you would you would definitely be the top in this relationship for sure. Let's be <laughs> um, no, anyway, but <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm gonna have Mythos of Nethroy. This does not represent the Mythos cycle. This is literally just that that card. Mm-hmm. So well, because uh, let's make that distinction. Your card is specifically uh, Mythos here, and mine is the actual cycle of lands itself. Uh, I don't know specifically which land will be the most popular. Like, I think for sure the Sultai land will get played, right? Like, the Sultai deck will probably play at least one of this card, right? It's a, And um, I will say that this, it's very, very possible that um, your card and one of mine um, specifically <laughs> make Abzan playable. Or Abzan a deck that starts to show up again. The the Abzan land plus Mythos of, uh, is it Neth, how do you pronounce Nethroy. it? Nethroy. Um, are very likely to be played in this format. So um, I'm a I'm a fan of these lands. I will say this: I do think that they are probably a little tiny bit too pushed for standard. Like I think they're very very good, especially with the way that standard works with check lands, like the castles. Just the, just the regular tapped tri lands have been good historically in standard, like very good. If you remember the Pro Tour, like after they came out, that's that was the most impactful thing going on. Was the you yeah. know like was Abzan versus like Teamer or versus Jeskai or whatever you know. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I think Jeskai fires upgrades. 
yeah, I think Jeskai Fires is a deck that that we're already seeing show up in Pioneer and do very impressive things because it's very powerful. And now you actually have better mana in yeah, this deck. You have that deck. You have uh, Niv Mizzet. Usually plays a couple copies of Trilands. They'll definitely be interested in some of these. Uh, Corey actually today on Versus Live was playing a couple of this one, the Ketria Triome in um, Lotus Breach. Yeah, exactly. Like. like how, how good is it in Lotus Breach? Like, how often do you have lands in your hand later in the game and you have a ton of mana and you're just trying to go through your deck as much as possible? Like, this this makes less bricks in your deck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it's something that is very good early, still fine late, you know, it's way better than uh, another land late and better than, you know, every land in your deck on turn one, That that's going to end up pretty well. Um, I think that this helps, uh, and this was my friend Jason Ellis actually in one of my stream chats the other day talking about how um, the wedge colors get are really helped out in terms of their mana with these um, because they can more effectively play their check land mana bases. They're not going to be as painful. Um, so that that's like the, the Sultai Uro or whatever. What are they? Sultai Delirium. Um, but these could also help out the the shard mana bases. Like if you want to build, you know, a Jund mana base or something, you know, uh, I mean, you've you've already got your temples, but like this is another set of, of dual lanes if you're a slower deck, and if you're, uh, you know, you definitely want to be playing these in slower decks because the cycling is going to be relevant as the game goes longer. Yeah, and like that's a that's a good point too. Like you could even make arguments to play this over temples depending on your mana base, right? Like if you know, scrying is obviously a good ability, but if you're playing check lands, like this might be better. Uh, but yeah, like um, I was gonna say, these are fetchable for other formats. Uh, you can't really fetch these in Pioneer. And someone in the chat added, you know, talked about spirits. And if there was a Bant land, I do think that you would play one or two of these in spirits, if not more. I, I don't, I don't know how many come into play uh, they had, but. Other than that, I do think you'll see these show up. I don't know if you'll ever see it show up in like a four of, but definitely like possibly two or three, depending on the deck. How many times you can you kind of um, when it comes to your card, and it's going to significantly it's going to significantly help out those decks too. You know, Sultai Delirium and Niv Mizzet, I think in particular. When it comes to your card, I'm definitely a fan of this. Why uh, why do you have it as number eight? Like what you know what makes you like so this card to put on I, the list? I actually I had this card a little bit higher in earlier drafts of my list, and I ended up moving it down a little. Uh, I do think it's a very good card, uh, and it you know it's a good enough card that it actually ins- it really is a draw for me to be in Absand, especially in in recent years we've seen so many different powerful artifacts and enchantments get printed, uh, you know things like Fires of Invention and Experimental Frenzy and Wilderness Reclamation and uh, you know what have you and all these and the Planeswalkers and you just have to d- be able to destroy all of these different things. And so this is a very efficient way to do so. We already see Hero's Downfall in Pioneer. If you're Abzan, this card is significantly better. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen Abzan really in Pioneer, even though that's definitely something that people tried out, all the old Siege Rhino fans. Uh, so we saw that happen, and it, it didn't really work out. And this is definitely a card that helps Abzan out quite a bit. My one reservation, and why I moved it a little bit back down, is because... I'm not sure it's good enough for Abzan to compete on the same level as Sultai because of how good Uro is. I think if this card had been printed before Uro, uh, it, it would have 
know, significantly boosted Abzan. It would have sort of been the modern Abzan charm, which was the card that secretly made Abzan great back in standard in its standard day. Like Seedrano got all the press, but it was Abzan charm that really uh, put them over the top. You know, having this great just basically split card between kill something or gain card advantage proactively as the draw to, uh, you know, you never wasted your mana. If they didn't play into it, you drew some cards, you got pulled further ahead. If they played into it, you out-tempoed them, killed their creature, what have you. And, uh, and uh, this card is similar in that it gives something to Abzan colors that no other color has. So it does elevate them relative to everyone else. Uh, but Uro is just so good that I'm worried about being able to play this card even, uh, you know, just in an Uro format. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll see how long Uro's uh, legal. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> You're very right, Brent. Drogokas Command was also a big part of it for Abzan decks. So though that one was significantly worse in the more controlling builds. So like, which were pretty popular around that uh, when Seth uh, Manfield won Worlds, like they were more controlling builds around that time. Um, but th this card is quite good, honestly. Like you could splash for it in Sultai, right? I'm sure you could get enough white sources, and the fact that even if you don't have white, you can still get something out of it, it's still kill a creature, which is what you're doing a significant portion of the time anyway, makes this a really good card to splash for. So I think you, you might see that happen. Um, particularly in decks that play like five color lands of some kind, you know, uh, if they're like an energy deck and they have ether hub and they're black, this is a really easy card to put in your deck. So I think, it, you know, I'm thinking sort of long-term for this. I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, enough to push Abzan over the top right now, but over the next two, three, four, five years in Pioneer, as things change and new cards come and go, this is a card that is going to see play. Because it's just too powerful not to, and too easy to fit into your deck. Absolutely. Because it's not, it's not like it, it is green, white, black, destroy an online permanent, but it's not. It's, it's a more, it has a higher floor than that. Mm -hmm. Because it, you're never going to be like unable to cast it as long as you have a, a good number of black sources. Yep. Very good arguments. Okay. Uh, so that's it for number eight. Uh, so we move on to number seven for Tannin, and we see Luminous Broodmoth. And for me, we see Wilt. Probably not a card a lot of people were expecting to see in these lists. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I, I, I touch on this uh, at some point in time. You know, this was definitely on my list of cards to look into. But I think that Luminous Broodmoth is like one of the cards that I would definitely add to a list like this because I think that it's it's very high variance, right? This card is either going to be sh like a shining star in some deck. You know, either as like a one of bullet target for some kind of deck, or it's going to spawn. It's an archetype. We saw you on versus play a uh, a Rakdos or uh, what's it called? Um, a red, white, black. A Mardu, yeah, a Mardu deck with this card, and you did some disgusting, disgusting stuff with this Luminous Bruma. I think this card is certainly one of the most impressive cards uh, Corey and I saw over the course of our standard explorations. So it checks off one of the boxes that we have in Pioneer. When you're when you're spending four mana on something in Pioneer, it needs to have a very large effect on the game or win the game. You know, when I think of four mana, I'm thinking like, you know, certain Gideons in certain decks, I'm thinking of Inverter, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, that's generally around the time, you know, turn four or five that Breach is going to be going off. You know, that kind of stuff. And when you play this card, it's very likely that your opponent is dead. If you get to untap with it, they are almost assuredly dead. If you have a decent enough draw out of your deck, the things that this deck, this card does, are not fair, right? This is this is not a card that was designed to be fair in any way. Um, 
there are infinite combos with it, though I do think unless you find a, uh, an infinite combo that is actually good without the card Luminous Broodmoth, meaning those cards are good enough to play on their own, I don't think you're going to see a lot of that going on. You're just going to see people getting a ton of value out of this card and enough to kind of push the game over. Because a lot of times you don't need to go infinite, right? You don't need to be able to do 100 damage. You don't need to be able to like draw your deck or whatever. You just need to be able to finish them off, right? And kind of thing. So I think this card is a, is a big part of what what that's going to happen. So... Uh, what's the Broodmoth combo? There's a bunch of really bad ones, like um, <laughs> Solemnity and what's the Mog Fanatic called? Uh, Fanatical Firebrand? Fanatical Firebrand, or? yeah. yeah. Solemnity, Broodmoth is like sort of the combo. How you kill them is, is there's a lot of different yeah. ways to do it from there. But uh, I, yeah, I've been impressed by this card in Standard. I actually tried it out today in Pioneer and just didn't draw it during our match. So that match did not go so well. Um, but what I want to say about this card is that I think it's pretty easy to just compare it to Nightmare Shepherd, which was a flop after some early hype, and this card is significantly better than that. Keeping the actual cardboard around means that, like, you're much better against bounce effects. It means that, you know, if you, you know, obviously find ways to remove the counters, you can redo it. It makes it really, really good with Cauldron Familiar instead of a big Nambo with Cauldron Familiar, which is already a card you sometimes want to play in Sacrifice decks. Um, so there's, there's this, this ability, while it looks very similar... I think is significantly better. And then obviously you get to keep the full power and toughness around. You get flying. So sometimes you can just like sacrifice a bunch of creatures. Suddenly they all have flying and get in a big attack with it. Um, in addition to the normal things that Nightmare Shepherd did, which is like protect your battlefield from sweepers uh, and just, you know, generally make removal ineffective as long as they, you know, can't kill the creature itself. Four toughness means it survives, you know, wild slash lightning strike. Uh, you know, it can survive fatal push uh, quite easily. So, uh, I'm I'm a fan of this card. I'm I had I, this is one of my near misses. Uh, I almost had it on my list, uh, and I would be very happy to see it in Pioneer. I think the thing that's possibly holding it back is a it's a white card, so <laughs> you know you know the joke about you know white and Pioneer. I mean we had mono white actually be the best deck for a while, and now that deck has pretty much fallen off of a cliff. Like I have barely seen it recently. Like it's it became. It went the way of almost every deck in Pioneer that was the best deck. Everyone was like, I am going to beat that deck. And they found ways to do it. Um, I am excited, though, that it's in white because maybe it gives white another identity besides the mono-white deck in Pioneer and maybe spawns off like, you know, we haven't seen, you know, Abzan. We haven't seen Jeskai. We haven't seen white in other decks, you know, and Mardu and stuff like that. So, you know, every now and then, yeah, we see it. Like, people want to play Siege Rhino. They're going to play Siege Rhino. But that deck just disappeared. Over the last month or two, after the you know the first couple, whatever. So, definitely, um, super excited to see this. Um, I wonder if anyone's gonna try it in like a Bant shell or anything like that with some of like the escape creatures, you know, because it does trigger for the escape creatures, right? Yeah. yeah. Chat's talking about that right now. I mean, you're right that when it comes back, it still gets sacrificed, but you get when, multiple triggers, though. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you cast the card normally, you you get two you know two triggers of it. Yeah. So I actually kind of want to try Luminous Broodmoth with, like, Croxa. You know, you can play it with Stitcher Supplier in a Sacrifice deck to get escape cards. Woe Strider as a Sack Outlet and an escape card. You can do a lot of cool stuff with this. Um, and there's a lot of things to explore. So uh, I would I would certainly want to try it with escape cards. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're, we're getting to the point where um, Stitcher Supplier, I think, is going to be soon broken in Pioneer, like it was in Modern. So, I mean, that card, I remember when I first saw it on a, uh, a spoiler, I was like, these are the cards. It's like when I first saw Faithless Looting. I've, I've told you the story before that I, I actually said it when Faithless Looting was on the spoiler. I was like, this card's too good. 
and this is you know seven years ago, eight years ago, or whatever. You know, you, you remember yeah, Blizzard Madness days, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware of what these cards can do. So, um, th- this card, like I said, it leads to stuff like that. What about Wilt? We we think we can get a lot Wilt of talk for about me, this. Yeah, uh, definitely, an uh, you know, unassuming card. You know, just naturalized with cycling. But my shtick on cycling, and I've said this on Versus Live countless times, is that what the ability fundamentally does is raise the floor of a card. Right, because mm-hmm. at any time you can spend your two mana and turn it into a fresh card, so it's never languishing dead in your hand. So what it so what cycling goes best on are effects that are really powerful in specific scenarios, but often bad. These high variance cards, because you mitigate that variance by raising the floor with the addition of cycling. Naturalized effects are pretty archetypal among that. You know, there's a lot of times you want to bring them in, but if your opponent doesn't draw their one bomb enchantment, they just sit in your hand doing nothing. But then when you leave them in your sideboard and they play their, you know, Fires of Invention on turn three, you feel really bad. That's why we've seen things like a Braid become really popular cards. Because, you know, you get that Shatter effect that you need against Chalice of the Void or whatever card they have. But you can also just kill a random creature with it, which is, you know, almost always going to have a target. So uh, I think adding Cycling to a Naturalize, and especially one where you're not seeing any increase in the base rate it's still naturalized on the face it's not forsake the worldly or something you know, like three mana card it's not dissenter's deliverance it's just shatter but still cycles uh this kind of just it, it does everything you needed to do it's got the cycling it kills ley lines it also kills damping sphere so i, I definitely see it in the sideboard of uh lotus breach decks right out of the gates but will also, you know, just be one of the staple disenchant effects that people play in Pioneer for years to come. See, I like that argument a lot, and it makes me a bigger believe that this, believer this card's going to get played in the fact that it seems like a really good card out of the sideboard of Breach, right? Because you want either exactly this effect or cards that get you further into your deck, right? You know, we talked about cycling with, you know, the lands as well with Lotus Breach. Because to me, I was wondering, would I rather this card over Return to Nature because, you know, Return to Nature also answers Uro and, like, a couple other things that are possible. You know, it's fighting for the same kind of slot and mana uh, cost. But the upside of the cycling on Wilt for certain decks, I think, like, you'll see that be a decision that you actually have to make. And I like when cards do that, right? Like, they, they test their decision-making process. Like, I want this... You know, you used to make this joke. It's like, uh, when you played Is It Phoenix, it's like, what did my removal suite look like week to week? That's what mainly changed with your deck is, like, how many axes, how many you know, gut shots, et cetera, et cetera, zero, three, you know, depending on the metagame. And like, that's where you got your edge. And it, this is one of those cards that's going to help you get like that little bit of edge in some, in some parts. Yeah. And you can main deck this card, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and start blowing up the people's Daxoses and Stasis Snares and whatever. Uh, and when it's bad against the inverter player, just cycle it away. So being able to main deck cards like this is huge in increasing your percentage. Like, you know, uh, I don't know if like, Honestly, this is a card I could see, you know, in, in certain metagames where people are, uh, you know, main decking things like Rest in Peace, if that, you know, ever happens. You could certainly main deck this as a response. And it's way, way easier to do that with Wilt than it is with any other sort of naturalized, unless it comes stable to a body like, you know, Thrashing Brontodon. Yeah. I also am a big fan of this for, like, limited and standard and stuff, too. So I do think you're going to see the card Wilt get cast quite a bit. Yeah, Burning Lotus in the chat with a very good comment that cards like Wilt are amazing for best of one. So if you're a fan of that on Arena, yeah, these, you know, narrow answers with cycling definitely going to be part of good best of one decks. So very good look point. into these and always keep them in mind. 
if that is your thing. Very good point. Okay, on to number six for Tannen. We have General Kudro of Dranith. And for me, oh, General Kudro of Dranith. Oh, nice. Somehow, hey, high five. <laughs> yeah, good job. You mean high six. High six. There we go. Sure, sure. <laughs> I just like this card in general. I think this card is very good. I think it has one of the highest possibilities of spawning a new deck. We saw human decks kind of be a thing early in the format, but adding another Lord effect seems good. I think this card is very powerful on its face. Um, I heard a good story today. So the extra text on the card of entering the battlefield, uh, excelling a card from your opponent's graveyard, when they built this card, like in uh, like when they were you know building the card in Wizards, like internally, Faithless Looting was still legal and modern. And that's actually why it got this text was to be able to help fight like faithless looting and stuff like that in modern. Cause one of the big problems with humans and like, was like, you know, you had to play like four ley line or whatever, you know, you had to play like really bad cards in your human deck to interact with <laughs> the graveyard or you could cards you couldn't even really cast reliably, you know? And so this was another way to do that. Um, I don't see the last ability getting activated like a ton. Like I think it's going to happen a very short amount of time, but when it does, it's going to be very impactful. Yeah, it's going to kill, like, an Uro or Torrential Gear Hulk kind of card. Definitely not uh, not something, unless you're Siege building Rhino, around it. Since that's yeah. coming back, apparently, you know. Sure. If, if you're building with um, uh, Hero of Precinct 1 or Worthy Knight in mind, then, yeah, you're going to activate the, the third ability. But I, I agree with you, it is the least relevant piece of text on a card with a lot of words. Um I, I think this card, I, I I kind of dismissed it initially, and if you read my article about it, I, I explain uh, that process, and I've come back to it, and now I, I quite like it. It's grown on me over time, because I do think that minor piece of Graveyard Hate is going to be relevant because of Escape, and it's going to be significantly relevant in Pioneer, because Uro is so powerful. We're seeing a resurgence of Soul Tide, now that Mono White has subsided, um, and you, as an aggro deck, you really, really need to deal with Uro. This card is excellent at doing that. Um, it curves really well with like dealing with Uro as well. Yeah, you know that they play it on turn three. You play yours on turn three, and, and you've got it. And even if you have to play yours on the play, if they Uro back after you Kudro, like you just have need any human. So mm-hmm. um, I, I also think, it, uh, and if you watched versus today, I played a four color humans deck, but the humans deck was base Orzov. I think that's the way to go in Pioneer. It's just where the strongest humans are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this card plays perfectly into that to keep your mana base working well because you don't have access to Ancient Ziggurat. You don't have access to Cavern of Souls like you do in Modern. So you need to uh, concentrate your colors and focus on a, on a certain core. And it's Orzhov that looks great. Uh, we have uh, Bloodsoak Champion. It's already a staple of Mono Black Aggro. Actually works well with the third ability on General Kudro. That's really cool. I actually didn't think about that. Yeah, you get Thraben Inspector, you get Kithian, you get uh, Glitzy Siphoner to get a little energy going for Aether Hub to help your mana as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Kite Sail Freebooter, Zathard Necromancer against Sweepers, Thalys Lieutenant, obviously. Um, and uh, my list was splashing for Reflector Mage and Mantis Rider. The mana worked fine. I actually won. That was the one match I won today, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> did not draw General Kudro, unfortunately. So, uh, But there were certainly, like, there were multiple spots where I wanted to. You know, it wasn't a card that I would have been unhappy to draw basically any point. So uh, that's a good sign off of, you know, an initial first test of it. And uh, I'm excited to see if human decks can make a splash in Pioneer now that they've gotten a little bit of a boost. I think uh, Dire Tactics is this card's best friend. 
That's okay. a standard removal spell. Right. Uh, you know, black, white, exile a creature. Um, with unclaimed territory, a little awkward to main deck them, but it's a great sideboard card, very versatile removal spell. Exile and Uro, also important. Um, so you'll see them together. And, and that card, you know, obviously just black, white, exile any creature of basically terminate, but better is, uh, you know, more than Pioneer playable. So a couple upgrades for human decks in Pioneer if you're looking to do some tribal things that aren't spirits. And this is definitely the, the major prize. It just does, it does everything you, you really want. Yeah, I'm excited to see it unban uh, Reflector Mage. So, you know, a card that <laughs> we haven't really seen much of in the format since, especially since Copter went away. Yeah, exactly. We saw that Azorius deck a bit while Copter was around and really haven't seen it since. Uh, another like reasonable card against Uro, right? Like They have to recast it from their hand two turns later, then fill their graveyard and escape it again. Um, so a as far as aggro decks being good against Uro, Humans looks to be well set up with General Kudur to exile it in the main, Reflector Mage to handle it in the main, and then Dire Tactics to exile it out of the sideboard. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great place to be starting. So two more things about this, and then I'll be done. One, someone asked uh, any thoughts on a general in, in modern humans. Yeah, I do think this is a card that's going to get played. Uh, the graveyard is still a relevant zone in the format. Um, think about its matchup versus, like, Dredge. If you hit one specific card at the right time, that's enough. It'll buy you an extra turn, and that's usually enough for, you know, humans to get the job done. Two, um, BBD cosplay win. He could grow this mustache that General <laughs> Kudrow has. I would love to see BBD cosplay this. <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. He's got plenty of time on his hands, self-isolating. BBD, yeah. we we need you to come through, buddy. Yeah, I'm gonna um, have to. I'm gonna have to send it to him. Ugh. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit less high on this card in modern. Actually, I think it's fine. Like, if you want to play one in your modern human stack, I would play one. I wouldn't play more than one. Um, and you know, playing one seems reasonable. The big issue is that you know, it uh, it's a three drop that like you know. Gains very little value against Lightning Bolt. There's not a ton. It, like, it, it's stats are just worse, right? It's an nobody's older format, nobody's playing format. Lightning Bolt. Come on. But 3 mana 3-3 three, three in Pioneer is like the sweet spot. It dodges Wild Slash. It often dodges Fatal Push. Right. This card is just going like, to die much more frequently and not be very impactful in Modern. I always like... When I'm building my Modern Humans deck, it's always the flex spots. I'm trying to lower the curve as much as possible. Right. I want to say, oh, like I want my Reflector Mages, I want my Mantis Riders, I want as few other three drops as possible. So when I th yeah, when I think about this card compared to saying Goomba mentions in the chat, like Mayor of Averbrook, am I willing to play a harder to cast three drop uh, over a two drop to get that minor bit of graveyard interaction in my main deck? And honestly, like it's a tough call, but right now with Dredge around and Uro, yeah, sure, I am willing to do that. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a slam dunk by any means. Oh, those are really good points, for sure. Like, I was to say, I, I do think it'll it'll show up at some point in time, you know? So. Yeah, no, I, I I would try it right out of the gates. I might even try two just to, like, drop more often. But I I envision it being, you know, a zero to one of in the flex spots of Modern Humans and one that doesn't really move the needle much as far as how good that deck is in Modern. Sure. But Pioneer, like, it really could move the needle for Humans decks. Yep. Okay. All right. Moving on, the one I accidentally revealed earlier. Yeah, I'm excited about my number five. Another cool moment for me here, in fact, that our number fives are some of the high, like highest contested cards on my list, right? Um, so how do you how do you pronounce the name of this of this card? Uh, well, I've yet to say it out loud, but looking at it, I would say Yorian Sky Nomad. 
but it might be Yorion. Yeah, I say Yorion, but Yorion is probably actually better. So, I do think that this is a card that is, like, another on my list that's super high variance, right? Like, I, I think you're going to see this card in Pioneer, period. Because I think people are going to try to cast this card. Like, people are going to try to make these decks. I, I mean, certainly the companion mechanic has received a ton of hype. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I expect people to try to build around that. I think playing 80-card decks that are built well is less of a, like, uh, a hindrance to you than people think it's going to be. Um, especially if you build a deck well. Uh, especially with the ability of, like, you know, blinking your non-land permanents and putting them back into play that lends you to play things that draw cards when they come into play or gain value when they come into play. So your deck is going to feel smaller than normal anyway. You're going to have a lot of very similar draws when you're playing a lot of cards like uh, Seder Wayfinder, because I'm assuming you're going to be playing this in, like, Bant of some kind, uh, Omen of the Sea, you know, cards like that that stick around, and then when you blink them, you get some kind of extra value out of it. That's the, the best way to put it. Um, this is a card that you can actually just have in a deck as well if you have a deck that wants this kind of effect, but you cannot, uh, you don't want to do the companion starting thing. Um, five mana for a four or five flyer that gets this much value when you cast it. This is a playable magic card, period, right? Especially with the mid range kind of decks that are pretty popular. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, mono white, soul tie, and some of these decks. You flicker a few cards that have come into play effects in that matchup, that's going to put you super far ahead. You flicker a Niv... flicker Uro, but... <laughs> it's awkward to flip, flicker Uro, but whatever. Uh, flickering niv it with this, which I think is something that's going to happen in this format. This seems like the kind of card that could fit in a niv deck. Because um, I'm assuming you're going to, you know, have some kind of mana ramp in this deck. I'm sure some it'll spawn some kind of thing. Um... It, it, it really makes me want to play... I, I really wish we had... Uh, what is the name of the, the blue-green two-drop? It, it's a lot like Ghost Spiral, but it's the creature. It's the little snake. Coiling Oracle. I really wish we had Coiling Oracle. I would jam four Coiling Oracle in this and just be like, call it a day. You know? <laughs> like, this this is <laughs> a deck... Like, oh. People are going to do this in Commander, I'm sure. You know, They're going to do it in like the fun formats. This definitely seems like a card that is has Commander written all over it, even though you can't play Companions in Commander, I think, or whatever. You do you get Risen play Reef. Companions in Commander. You're, you're allowed. They just banned the one that was obviously... No, I don't think you're I don't think you're allowed to have them as your Companion, is what I'm saying. You're, you don't get the Companion thing because it's a sideboard, and you don't have a sideboard in that format. Oh. Yeah. Is it's that like, something that the whoever rules over mm -hmm. Commander just decided? Yeah, it's just so you can't do, like... You don't do Wish sideboards, etc., etc., Someone says you are allowed to have them. You are. You can play 101 cards now? Okay. I just say, I, I didn't know that. So I'm being told that you can do this. So that's actually pretty cool. I'm definitely, uh, when we're getting done with this, I might have to but change we're up. we're also saying that like for this specific one, you're just not allowed to have that many cards in your deck in Commander? Oh, but this one doesn't work because you can't do 120 cards or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're Pioneer cast. We're not Commander cast. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people who listen to this do play those formats. I still play it or whatever. I do want to cast this card in that format. You know, like, just casting it for five mana is fine. Like I said, you're probably going to be casting it a little bit quicker on a, on average. Don't forget, you can just play this in blue decks and white decks. You can play it in Abzan. You know, you can, it's it's either double blue, double white, or some combination of the two. So, like, you don't have to have blue and white in your deck. There's a lot of cool things you can do with this, right? So, man, I just really upset some commander. <laughs> the chat just popped off on commander. Oh, yeah, they're, they're going nuts about... But, um... They'll be fine. They'll yeah, it'll be all right. But in, in essence, uh, like, I'm not even scratching the surface of this card. I do think that there is a chance that this card goes the way of Niv-Mizzet in the format. And the fact that, do you remember the first time you saw a Niv-Mizzet deck in Pioneer or in Standard? I thought it was a joke. 
You know, I was like, oh, oh yeah. somebody like like LOL, somebody 5-0'd with this deck or whatever. And then you see it again, you see it again. And in the first game, it happens to you, right? Like, do you remember the first time someone cast Niv-Mizzet on you? My jaw hit the floor. I was like, I'm just uh, fucking... I was just mad. I was like, yeah, how does this happen? Yeah, I'm just fucking dead. Like, <laughs> like, like they just <laughs> drew seven cards. Yeah. And so, like, you're going to have to build, you know, your decks a little bit different or whatever. But I think this card is very, very good. I don't have a specific, specific home for it yet. I'm sure people much smarter than me will find it. I will try a lot of really bad decks, etc., to make this playable. But this card just screams break me. Especially with, like, the... I, I think the companion mechanic might be a tiny bit too pushed. I, why is everyone saying that? Because I've, I've, heard, I've heard way more people say that than I've heard people present an actual deck that utilizes these okay. companions that looks good. Maybe maybe I'm like kind of wrong and being hyperbolic about it. It's it's no, something that I don't you're like. Not, you're not unique. Like I've heard this from there was an entire article from it on by Sam Black on SCG. I think it stems I from it. I think it stems from like I don't want Commander in my standard game. I don't want Commander oh, in my Pioneer game. I, that's a that's separate from power level like things. I I agree with that. Like I don't like the companion mechanic. There's there's two things I dislike about Commander, right? One, I don't like politics in in, in games of Magic. Two, I don't like I don't like commanders. <laughs> so like that's like yeah, it's pretty funny. I don't like like I love hundred card singleton decks. I love like uh Canadian Highlander is literally like my ideal format. You know what I mean? Like I just love playing with like a giant deck, you know, you get a free mulligan, and the games generally don't feel the same. You know, like you have your broken ones that are just like, you know, they have like some tutors and like they do the same thing every game. But you know, you're like, oh, I drew this quarter of my deck or this quarter of my deck. And like it's going to be cool. You're going to know anyway if someone has this as your companion because they have to reveal it at the beginning of the game. I think that's the way. I think it's kind of like a ley line. Like it's a pregame action yeah. where you're just like, oh, by the way. Otherwise, it's kind I, of like. I the, squatted up. It's kind of like the Battle of Wits thing, right? Like, you know this is coming. Like, you see that 80-card deck. Like, I'll tell you this. I had somebody present like a 62-card deck against me once, and I I knew it shuffling. Like, I shuffled their deck, and I was like, is this a 60-card deck? And they were like, no, I registered like 62 or whatever. You know, like I was like, you can feel that difference, you know, kind oh, of thing. Yeah. So if you've been if you've been playing for long enough, you definitely um, got it. This this definitely just it's it just screams break me. But for my list, this is the and someone someone got to my next point before I this is the most fun card, I think. Like, I'm super excited to cast this card. So uh, I'm also super excited to cast another card. And that is Sea-Dasher Octopus. I want to make one more point about Yorian before we move on. The thing that gets me about this card is when you when you evaluate that ability, you think, oh, I just like I want to play all these like you know permanents with ETB abilities. Maybe they're creatures, maybe they're not. Like Oath of Kaya, somebody mentioned in chat would work well. You mentioned Omen of the Sea. You know those would work well along with different creatures with ETB abilities. Um, you know you can exile Planeswalkers and reset their loyalty if it's like a Teferi. Things like that. But ultimately, that kind of ability means that it gets better the more permanence you have on the battlefield. The more permanence you have on the battlefield, the better position you're in, in general, in Magic, right? So this, scar this card screams to me, win more. Like, what happens when you when you top deck your 5-drop, and, and generally you're excited, like 5-mana cards in both Pioneer and in, you know, uh, almost any format are pretty powerful... You know, you get a 4-5 flyer. That's not bad, but it's 2020. That's not great. It's not Nissa. It's not Niv-Mizzet. Bring the light. It's not, you know, it's not Ashiok, uh, whatever the new Ashiok is that, like, Inverter's playing, or even Dig Through Time. You know, 
And then, you know, what happens when you have, like, one thing you get to blink? Okay, like, I played my 4-5, I blinked my Oath of Kaya, I killed a creature. Like, you basically played Enter the God Eternals. And then, I mean, like, obviously of. it scales up from there, and sometimes it does really busted stuff. Um, and, but, you know, like, you need to actually have resolved all of those things and, like, curved out and curved well into it. Now, that's easier to do with Companion. I agree. That's So, the Companion aspect does make this ability more appealing, but how much, like, does the increase in the appeal of the card itself, how much does that compare to the lack of appeal of having to add 20 bad cards to my deck? And I'm just not, I'm not there with this card. Well, you no. don't have to add 20 bad cards. Like, they can all be good cards, Ross, you know, or whatever, but... <laughs> There's not that many good cards, Tannen. They all get worse. Alright, alright, whatever, okay. But... You already ruined my great segue. Can we just talk about Sea Dasher Octopus now? Yes, we can talk about Sea Dasher Octopus for the rest of the show because it's the best card ever printed, and somehow I only put it number five on the list. So I don't know if you broke your mic or whatever, but I only heard like half that, but you were yelling, so it's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> and this is certainly my favorite card in the set. It's everything I ever want to do in Magic. Oh, yeah. Um, it's up there for me. Yeah, and I'm going to be playing it a lot in the coming you know, week or two. It is, I'll probably just buy a set of them as soon as I can on Modo. Uh, I th I actually think the card's a little overrated right now. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about it like it's like the best card in the set, and I don't think it's that good. Um, and uh, but it and is that's okay. good, yeah. And it's particularly good in archetypes I like to play, like blue tempo decks hmm. and flash decks. Oh, tell me and more. Those, you know, <laughs> those kinds of decks are haven't really seen play in Pioneer yet, but. This is a card that can help put them over the top. And I'm going to, you know, if they do, I will find out. Don't yeah. you worry. I will figure it out. So I um, agree with pretty much like everything you've said so far, right? Like I feel the same way. I think this card is very, very powerful. I'm super looking forward to cast it. I think it's really, really cool. Um, the problem for me with this card is when I sat down and I really thought about it, what deck does this go in? We don't really, I mean, like I talked about it, like possibly being a one or two of in spirits. So I'm not even sure if that's a thing. That's the biggest thing for me. I agree. Um, it doesn't have a home right now. It's going to have to be, in order to break into Pioneer, it has to be good enough to push a tempo deck into viability. But I think that it, it could be that good. Um, in particular, with Curious Obsessions, you're consistently finding that card draw engine. Uh, I think it is, you know, just very good with cheap flyers. There are several of them in Pioneer. It's sweet on Brineborn Cutthroat because the card keeps getting bigger, even though it doesn't get evasion. It's unbelievably good with Brazen Borrower. Um, I'm a little bit worried about playing a tempo deck in Pioneer because of the potential matchup against Spirits, where they're also a tempo deck, but they just have better creatures and, like, you know, eventually outpace you in combat. Um, so I'd be worried about the Spirits matchup playing a tempo deck, but I would like my Inverter matchup playing a tempo deck. I would like my Sultai matchup playing a tempo deck. Um, you know, especially with Dive Down for Abrupt Decay. So if that's what the metagame is going to look like, yeah, I would like myself playing blue decks. Mono Black Aggro might be tough. You know, you're, you're, you, you can figure out how to navigate it. But this card pairs so well with so many cards that exist in Pioneer. You know, Mono Blue Aggro or Tempo was already a good deck in a standard environment. It now has significant upgrades from the other cards available outside of its specific standard environment, whether it's uh, Brazen Borrower, Sea Dasher Octopus, better counter spells um though i've been you know brewing some lists and uh, the one awkward thing is that you want to really focus on either playing spirits or wizards or not uh, pirates or wizards so that you get to play either lookouts dispersal or wizards retort 
as a generic two-mana counter spell. And I just don't want to play more of those pirates and wizards. Like, I have lists that don't play Brineborg Cutthroat. I have lists that don't play, you know, Spectral Sailor. And instead want to play, like, Mausoleum Wanderer. There was a list a couple months ago that uh, I've, you know, framed and put on my wall because it was so cool of a, a mono blue tempo deck that was spirits based. So it played Spectral Sailor, Mausoleum Wanderer, Rattle Chains, and. Um, Might be time uh, to revisit. S Supreme Phantom. And like that card, be like that shell would be sweet with Sea Dasher Octopus and Curious Obsession. It had Obsession, obviously. But you don't, and there's no like two mana spirit counter spell. So. Um, um, I, you definitely have to build around this card, but it is very, very powerful because being able to flash in your Curious Possession and then untap to protect, and you flash it in after they've tapped out, is incredible. You know, uh, and uh, you know you don't have to attack with it, so like you don't have to worry about that with the Obsession. Uh, you got all of your mana untapped. You can probably have two protection spells at that point in case they have two removal spells. And you know we've seen what happens when these cards start getting out of control they uh they snowball very quickly this is one that you know will do that and even just up you know you get to even upgrade like a one one into a two two flyer uh and start applying a little bit more pressure which helps against these combo kills helps against like walking ballista um I, i'm you know it, it's going to be mono blue tempo to start and then we'll uh we'll see how it goes from there you, de you definitely want to pair it with lots of evasive creatures and lots of flash creatures because you want to take advantage of those two things and that's where Model Blue Tempo comes in. I'm going to say one more thing while you're pulling up the next cards. I am excited to see Mutate in uh, Pioneer because, like, this is probably one of the only ones that's going to make it. Yeah, and, and that's a little unfortunate because one of the things I like about Sea Dasher Octopus and Standard is that it is a instant speed cheap mutate to get powerful mutate triggers at a reduced cost. So I've been loving playing it in Standard with Dirge Bat. So you can, like, flash in Dirge Bat on their end step on turn four, untap, pay two, kill a, a creature or planeswalker, attack them for three, draw a card, and have three mana up for a counter spell. I think that pattern is really good in standard. Dirge Bat, not quite there for Pioneer. Yeah. Um, but so th this card is much more like just Curious Obsession straight up in Pioneer, where actually it does even more in standard. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we are halfway through, Tana. How are you feeling? We're only like 45 minutes in. Closing the door and wearing a hat was a bad idea. I needed a uh, I need a fan or something in here. I should probably just open okay. my open my door. But it'll be okay. That's why I have the beer here. It helps cool me down. Yeah. Well, I've already finished my drink, so going too fast. I drink like a man. Too fast, Tannen. Yeah, I know. We're gonna have to slow it down. We'll be on here for three hours. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's uh What's my number four? I don't remember. Your number four was my number eight, Mythos of Nethroi, and then mine here is the Ozoleth. So, However the hell you want to pronounce that. Yeah, we, we we talked about this card a little bit, so I'm just going to say one or two things. I have it a little higher than you do because um, a removal spell getting printed to replace removal spells that are already in the format is not something that commonly happens. So the card has to be very powerful, and obviously this card is very, very powerful. Um, I do have this card a little higher on my list than you do because I do think this is a card that is going to get played no matter what. Like, right? You know, like We could be wrong about a lot of the cards that were lower than this or higher than this, whatever you want to say on the list. You know, it could make a deck, it could not, it could show up, it could not. Um, also, this card might spawn new decks. Like, it might make Abzan playable. 
You know, like you don't have to play Assassin's Trophy if you don't want to, you know, cards like that and stuff now. Or if you want to just like, you know, play black, white, splash green a little bit, you know, or play black, green, splash white a little bit. Or you want to make Soul Tie four colors if you could somehow make that mana base work, you know, kind of thing. I just think this is a card that we're going to see a good bit of in Pioneer. And I don't know if we'll see it as like a four of ever. But, you know, you'll definitely see it as like a solid two of in a lot of decks, maybe three, just because it answers so many things. And traditionally, Pioneer has just been playing to the board. Almost every single deck, you know, every single deck that's been the best deck at the format just plays to the board. And this card has answered everything that has been good in this format. So, yeah, you know, even against like Inverter, which is probably the least, you know, play to the board among Pioneer's top decks, you're still killing their Jace, you know, after you thought these and stop their combo. Um, you know, or you're killing Inverter if they're trying to go that route. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's a really, really powerful card. And I expressed my reservations earlier because of Uro. But, you know, if Abzan become or if slash when Abzan becomes a thing in this format, Mythos of Nethroid is going to be a part of it. And that's a very powerful statement to make about a card. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my number four, the Ozoloth. Ozolith. I, I, I'm going to say Ozolith because it's probably it's... like Manolith. It's oh, yeah, it even is I-E-T-H. I thought it was just all O's. So the Ozolith, um, this card, it obviously, it, you know, it, it's one of the, in a set full of strange cards, this might be the strangest. Yeah, it's honestly. really weird and very specific. Yeah, um, but it, you know, synergizes really, really well with a lot of cards that exist in Pioneer, most notably Hardened Scales uh, and those kinds of decks. So we played uh, Dom Harvey's, uh, updated scales or one of his many updated scales lists from his recent article. It looked really uh, impressive. When yeah, you that and it looked really, really good. Granted, this card was not a huge part of why the deck was impressive, mm -hmm. but where I see this card uh, playing well in hardened scales is it gives you a lot of resilience to removal. A lot Which of the time, had generally been a problem with that deck. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if you land this early, then every time they're killing your creatures that have counters on them, you're loading up and making another big threat, and you're able to sequence your threats in a way that maybe they have to use removal on something they otherwise wouldn't have, uh, and you maintain a lot of value. It is a, a very poor top deck, obviously. Mm. I, I, I It sort of reminds me of Shaper Sanctuary. Okay. Well, like for specific decks. It reminds me of Hardened Scales itself. You know, you don't want to, you want it in your opening hand, you don't want to draw it late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have, um, if you have sacrifice outlets, then you can start doing really cool stuff with it. Um, so maybe that's a way people go. Uh, I know the Harvey's list had Ginger Brute, which is you know something you can put counters onto and then sacrifice it. But in modern, where you have Arcbound Ravager, yeah, you, you can start going nuts. But I think giving the Hardened Scales deck, which is already really good when you just get your good Scales draws, you're able to Goldfish people effectively because the synergies are really powerful. Giving that deck resilience to removal, which is you know the, the matchups where it typically struggles, have your removal strategies, is excellent. You know, if they kill your, you know, 2-2 two -two Walking Ballista, and then suddenly you untap and play a 2-2 two -two Hangerback and put two counters on it with this, now you got the 4-4 four -four Hangerback that they need to kill, and then you got four Thopters, and, like, you know, uh, suddenly, you know, things can, can inspire a lot of control. So I see that as a significant upgrade for those style of decks, uh, and one that actually pushes them to be a little bit different. You know, the, the list that we played today on Versus was not... The typical list that has eight mana creatures and goes up to Vivian. This was an artifact-centric list with things like Steel Overseer um, and or and you know Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker. So and uh, what was the key? It was uh, what's the Metallic Mimic. 
So all those synergies built in work really well with the Ozolith, and it actually just pushes the deck in a different direction, and it's a direction I think looked better than the traditional Hardened Scales lists. Uh, I really like that you said, uh, you know, you used like a pun there, you're like twisting it or whatever, and I was like, hmm, lol. You know, it's like, actually, you know, the Ozolith is like a, a spiral, and it even says something, as it twists, so does all life around it. And you didn't mean to, but it was a, it was a really good turn of a phrase there. Yes. I liked it a lot. No, um, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, big fan of this card. I uh, think it's going to do a lot of things. It looks really impressive today out of Corey's deck, and for for more reasons than just why the why the card itself is good. You know, we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. I don't want to we'll bury the lead a little bit. I think this is another card that um, slips through the cracks where this was made for more commander play. It's kind of like when doubling season gets printed into a, a set or whatever. It's like never really good enough for constructed play. But it's there for commander players, right? Like, it's just new cards for them that doesn't have to come out in the commander set. They do this. They print commander cards in standard sets so commander players will buy standard packs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this one, though, they, uh, like I said, you know, they probably made this card two years ago. And they might not even have Pioneer on their radar yet. You know, maybe they did. But we'll see. So, uh, this 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 was a good hit. Like, this, this is definitely a chase rare for the set. I think it's good. I think it's going to be great. You're going to see it somewhere and if hey if it doesn't work out in pioneer you can trade it to your commander buddies you know for some for some for some other card or something so i i expect this card to work out i mean these kinds of effects usually cost significantly more mana and end up being really awkward as a result being able to cast this on turn one in a deck that doesn't have as many other one drops you know you have you play this or hard skills on turn one and you start going from there looks uh looks quite good definitely excited okay top three we're getting down to it uh, on Tannen's side, we've got Heartless Act, and on my side, we have Heartless Act. So we agree twice. We have six and three, somehow both the same, but different cards in between. Good job, Ross. You were, you were smart exactly twice during this list. Uh, <laughs> so Heartless Act, I think, is just going to be one of the most ubiquitous cards out of this set. And one of the big reasons that I like it so much is... You don't have to be playing Abzan, like a Mythos of, you know, to get the most usage of this card. You just have to have black mana in your deck. And this is an, one of the best, if not the best, like, two mana, quote-unquote, conditional removal spells that we've seen. You know, the, the Doomblade-like effect, the go-for-the-throat-like effect type thing. This is one of the best ones we've seen in a long, long time. Um, the second mode of removing three counters is actually still relevant. Like we just talked about how good hard skills was, you know, Dom Harvey just won a PTQ with it recently. Y'all played it today. We think it's going to be a player in, in pioneer going forward. So in a deck that has creatures with counters on it, this card is still not dead. Right. And I think this is going to be one of the cards that actually could make uh mythos of Nethroi like move down on my list. And it was one of the thoughts that I had is like, maybe it just doesn't see as much play because this card is just going to get played instead because it's two mana answer everything. And it's good. You know, we'll answer every creature. Sorry, but yeah. Um, but th like I said earlier with mythos and Nethra, like you've got to answer non-creature permanence pretty often in, sure. uh, or at least you're incentivized to do so in pioneer, but you know, two mana removal is our bread and butter. And this one is better than Doomblade, better than go for the throat. Um, you know, whatever you want to... Whichever one exists in Pioneer. Is Go Throat even legal in Pioneer? Did they reprint that? I don't... I don't even know. think it is. I think it was in, like, the Mirrodin set, but... Yeah. But, like, whatever, like, monoblack aggro has been playing, like, Grasp of Darkness, whatever nonsense, like, this card is significantly better. Yeah. Um, And this is another card that, like... I, I think the metagame right now might not be great for it, but 
again and like you know over time you're going to see this card show up again and again because it's just the best at what it does um so long term as a removal spell it's going to see significant play but there's one other aspect of this card that i want to bring up what's that and i and i can't believe i like i can't remember who brought it up to me but thank you for that raid by the way todd uh coming in with his party of 114 he and Ryan both raiding here. They were doing their own little set review for Ikoria. So people who are, you know, really gung-ho about this set, you know, that we, you can keep going. We're getting to the end of our list. We're very Pioneer-focused, so uh, that's what we're talking about with our top eight lists. Love you too, Todd. And uh, ooh, we got a hey, follow-up from Callie Panderson too. Oh, just the whole family. Yeah. With the whole Anderson clan. I like it. Uh, but the, the thing about Heartless Act, and Todd, if you're still here... Maybe you haven't realized this, but it goes really well with Thing in the Ice. Yeah, so I saw a big discussion about this on Twitter, and I had to kind of, you know, talk to somebody about this. It does technically remove all four counters. It does not transform your Thing in the Ice right away. You yeah, it does not cast... transform it by itself. Yeah. Because the, what Thing in the Ice does is it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, remove a counter. Then when it has zero ice counters, transform it. Or then if it has zero. So the check of whether or not it has zero and then transforming if it does happens only when you cast an instant or sorcery and when the ability when that trigger resolves so when you if it has four counters on it and you heartless act to remove three the trigger will resolve it'll have three then the heartless act will resolve and it'll remove all three but by that time the window for it to have zero and still transform is gone but you can still go turn two thing in the ice turn three heartless act it opt transform let's go yeah turn three awoken horror and that's what we were doing in, in in modern granted you know sometimes it came with an arc light phoenix next to it and 10 is significantly better than seven but having having a like way to turbo your thing in the ice when you're really far behind that also just doubles as an excellent removal spell seems great to me mm -hmm. yeah a uh, big fan of that kind of interaction you know thing in the ice is on the list of cards that is like very very powerful that have been played in this format but aren't played now right it's up there with like reflector mage you know we were talking about earlier maybe this is a card that quote unquote unbans you know thing in the ice yeah you know so and, and the issue with thing in the ice has always been in pioneer like there's just not a high enough density of, of cheap spells to want to transform it uh here like you're going to be able to play it with like you know heartless act and thought seize and opt and you know all those goodies and just be you know a demure deck you know maybe like brazen borrower in your deck too that's a cool one uh and do something with that and i'm interested in exploring a deck like that and that's just like max that's absolutely maximizing heartless act right yeah, i like all those and, cards and then if you know if you get a lot of um of hardened scales decks like you're often going to be able to kill their creatures with this right you know how like if they start getting you know creatures with four or more counters on them it's going to end up being rough but like unlike things like go for the throat that can just completely sit dead when your opponent's all artifacts against creatures with the counters on them this is still going to do something so you still have that nice floor uh you know the the upside is just terminate you know the ceiling i guess the, the actual ceiling is literally transform my thing in the outside turn three because that's just uh, <laughs> sure i love it so um um, that that's where I'm looking for this card right now, and hopefully it works out well in that shell. But even if it doesn't, like you know, this card could easily make its way into Inverter, you know, Sultai Delirium, all those kinds of shells as the metagame dictates. But you know, when it comes to removal spells, it's always metagame dictated. Like what threats are you trying to answer? 
and then long term two mana destroy basically any creature or like 90 percent of them it's gonna see a lot of play absolutely big fan okay we are getting down to it number two on tannin's list we have the ozolith and on my list kinnon bonder prodigy yeah so, so tannin a little higher on the ozolith than i am yeah i think this is one of the cards in the set that if it works the way we think it it's going to it's going to a reinvigorate an entire deck right that fell off the face of the earth we actually talked about this right before this card got uh spoiled is like what happened to scales it was already making a comeback now it's getting another big piece but this card does super degenerate stuff and i'm super excited about it i think it's going to be very good you know we talked a lot about this and i don't really much else to save the fact that you know we, we talked about this a lot when you brought it up so we kind of covered everything but i do think that this is this card could go down as like one of the better cards out of the set yeah you know it just it does a lot of powerful things at one mana and it fits into any archetype so uh you know as an artifact so definitely a card to watch out for kinnon a little bit more um restrictive we'll say but there's payoffs here if you're willing to work for it i tried it today uh on versus in a simic devotion deck with mana creatures and mox amber um and, and uh, you know stuff like that and the mana engine of the deck worked really well there were some other issues in the way i had it built it needed a little, little bit more gas it needed to take advantage of that second act uh, ability on kinnon the activated ability um but kinnon looked good that aspect of it lo looked promising from what i saw um you know leyline of abundance was part of those early broken mono green devotion decks this gives you that effect one of the things I like about it is you often cast it and then immediately get at least one mana back if you have a mana creature already ready to tap, or if you have Mox Amber, you know that just taps for two. Like some, uh, you know, as an example, you can play your you know turn one elf and they have it killed, right? And then your opponent's like really happy with that exchange; they're going to slow you down. You untap on your turn two. You can play Kinnon, Mox Amber, and then cast either another elf or even a two mana creature because your Mox taps for two green. So you can tap like Sylvan Carry added and then have literally six mana in play, even though your turn one elf got killed. You know, you don't have many cards left in your hand, but your mana is perfectly set up, you know, at, at that point um, for whatever you want to do. So the, this card, does, you know, it does that. Like Leyline, it serves as a mana sink late. And that was one of the things my build from Versus today didn't do well enough. It didn't use that mana sink well. Um, so I think if you get some like Ulamogs, this card, you know, when it works, it makes a ton of mana. So you want good mana sinks. You want to go high and go powerful. I think Ulamog is a, a good card to be able to hard cast in these decks. It'll also, perfectly fine to just pay seven and put onto the battlefield. Yeah. For me, <laughs> for me, I do like this card a lot. It was probably like my highest contested card for this list, right? Like I went back and forth on having it on my list or not. It's, you know, probably like the closest one. It's like if I had a nine, this would probably be my nine. Um I love cards like this, and I hate cards like this. I think it leads to bad deck building a lot of the times when you play cards like this. Um, you're going to have a lot of games where you cast this, you make a bunch of mana, and you don't actually do anything. You know, you're not going to get the payoffs that you need. Yeah. Um, but that's why you need to be able to take advantage of the mana sink. No, I agree. Right. It still costs seven. That's a, that's a lot, and that's, that's saying that your opponent isn't doing anything with you. Uh, other problems that I have with this card is it dies to every removal spell in the format. You know, the old dies to Doomblade joke, like, whatever. But it does die to every removal spell in the format. And, like, I'm just... 
like I want I want it to be good, right? Like this is a cool thing. I like it. But like if you're playing blue green, like you could just be doing other things, right? And in the time that you're doing this, right? Like you're like play a mana dork, play this on two, on three, do like all this cool stuff. You're not killing your opponent and you're not interacting. And what if they just like cast an inverter on you? That is an issue, but yeah. you can put this into some other shells that try to kill quickly. Like, you know, once you have Mox Amber, you can play Emery and Prophetic Prism and different artifacts like that. You know, I know uh, Canister is going nuts in Modern about this with Arkham's Astrolabe and Urza, though it, it does not uh, synergize with Urza because the Urza is the thing it's better making the mana and you're not tapping it. <laughs> now, the reason that it almost made my list and I wanted to make it on my list, and I'll probably eat crow on this or whatever, um, is this card scares the shit out of me, right? Like when you read this card, it jumps off the page. It's a blue-green card and every blue-green mythic they've made the last year and a half has just been busted as hell. You know, we... it's Yeah, what's this set's busted Simic Mythic? It's gotta be this one, right? Yeah. It's can, the only can one. you imagine they wanted all of this legal at the same time in standard? <laughs> but anyway... Um, It'll be fine, guys! It'll be fine! Yeah, this card, I think, does have the opportunity to be very, very good. I think it's another card that's going to be good in Commander. You're going to see it a lot in that kind of format. It's a little fragile for me. Uh, again, you know, it's just too easily interruptible, and the deck's probably going to have too much air in it, but I could eat my words on this. And If the card's good, I'm going to be playing it. I do think the interaction with Mox Diamond is what scares me mostly. It's the fact that you're starting to get to that that point, right? You know, I remember as soon as this got spoiled, I, I messaged you about Astrolabe, uh, Emery, Mox Diamond, and I was like, wait a minute. Some of this is legal in Pioneer, right? And you and I, like, we had Mox Diamond on our original list, or Mox Diamond, uh, Mox Amber, on our original list of cards to get banned in this format. And maybe this one finally pushes that. So that's another thing, too, is I think if this card is good, it's going to eat itself. It's, it's It's going to get something banned and then no longer be that good. Can you imagine going, like, you know, turn one, Terrarian, turn two... You know, this thing, Mox Amber, Emery, have a mana floating for whatever. And then the next turn you get to, like, set up for, you know, for a paradoxical outcome. Or maybe you just play some Prophetic Prisms. I've been working on some outcome decks with this that are pretty cool, too. Because you have Emery and Kinnon. uh, And maybe even splashing, like, Teferi. Because you have all the artifacts to help fix your mana. Um, You know, Teferi protects from counterspells. Teferi bouncing Mox Amber can just generate two mana and a card. Yeah, they, they printed another two-drop artifact that just draws a card when it enters the battlefield in this set. It doesn't really do much, but still, you know, it can, it can buy you time. It gets an aggressive deck kind of thing. But, like, yeah, like, this card's just scary, right? And and that's the biggest thing for me um, for this card is I, I, I'm worried about it breaking the format because I'm not going to be on the end of the person breaking it because I generally don't like those decks and don't play them super well, so I'll be shying away from it. And I'm just going to have to sit there and watch everybody else have a lot of fun. Yeah, this is also the kind of card that only gets better over time. Like, they're going to keep printing randomly, you know, two-mana artifacts that can't drip and make some mana. Yeah. And it's just only going to get better and, like, another good one. You know, you're just waiting for the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, card's good. Very, very scary. Um, we'll see if it if it made my list. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, you, you either don't have my number two or don't have my number one, unless my number one is one of your previous cards. And I will tell the chat right now that's not the case. Kind of spoiled a little bit and said it's like my number nine. I just, I left it off my list because it's either really right or really wrong. And we'll see. The price on this card is already astronomical, by the way. My buddy was like, I think I'm going to buy these out and like make an investment. They're like already like $30 or something. So whatever. But 
But we're, I know. Uh, but we're going to do the typical, um, what is it, like reality TV show thing? We're going to like, we're not going <laughs> to go to, yeah, we're not going to go to commercial before the uh, <laughs> yeah. before the final thing. Yeah, but we, we have a f- we needed we needed some ominous music to play dun, here, dun, like dun, our swelling music, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Or, and then we just cut away and come back two minutes later. Yeah, but we here's do, a Twitch ad. But we do have a list of a few other cards that we wanted to talk about before we get into that number one. And the first one is overrated, correct, Ross? Yes. Awesome. So our picks for overrated cards in the set. Uh, do you have these? Okay. Uh, Cannon. We're getting visual on overrated this. Overrated card. Song of Creation. Let's let's talk about this one, and then we'll get to mine. I'm gonna get some hate for this. So, the more I think about it, the more I think we all overreact to this card, and I was one of them. You know, like when I saw Same. this card get spoiled on Twitter, I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I was like, because the first two lines of this card are broken, like just just actual broken. I think people are not understanding how much of a hindrance the third line of the card actually is. And yes, I understand. There's adventure cards. There's like a lot of ways to put cards to lay away right now or cast cards from the top of your deck, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of, lots of things to do that. Um, the thing is, is like cards like this that are engine building, generally you want to get them into play as quickly as possible, right? Like but the problem is you can't like on turn two play like a mana dork and then play this on turn three, right? You just lose your yeah. hand and then you're, you're waiting for your top deck to be good. And then what happens if they kill your mana dork after that? Now you're strapped on mana and you're you're relying on your deck to actually cough up the goods no matter what at this point. I think this card is very powerful. I think this card is very scary. I will not be surprised if it gets broken in some way that I didn't anticipate. But it's not a card that you can just take on the surface. You can't just jam this on four or jam this on three in every game. It's just going to carry you to victory. I think it's very possible that the Jeskai version of this card, you know, there's like two of the four mana enchantments. There's a Jeskai one that says when you cast a non There's a cycle spell. of weird enchantments. One of them yeah. costs five, one three, the other three yeah. costs four. But this one gets very directly compared to the other four mana one, the Jeskai one that draws a card yeah. when you play non There's a chance that that one actually ends up being better in like a standard deck or something like that. And I, I, I think this card can be good. I mean, we've seen Rug do disgusting things and Blue th- Green do very disgusting things in, uh, lately. And if you have the right deck, because the thing is, you can't just grow spiral on two and then play this on three. Like that doesn't actually get you to where you're trying to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, you get to play. You get to play another land and then what? Discard four cards. You know, discard yeah. five cards. And, and even if you draw a spell the next turn, like what are you doing? You're like okay, yeah. I have four mana. I'm gonna like cast this spell, draw two cards, hope there are two lands that I can play. Like hope to draw a spell the next turn. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I am super excited and not excited at the same time of having this card in play and casting Grove Spiral. Because casting Grow Spiral of this card in play, just like your, your deck just explodes. Yeah, you you definitely want to play this card with a lot of ramp and a lot of weight, and, you know, a bunch of extra lands. You're definitely going to play it with Arboreal Grazer. Um, but like, I just like I I have Goldfish decks with it to try to see like how the engine works and see if I can figure out exactly what, like what's missing and what pieces you need. And it all is just really finicky because you need a lot of mana in play. Because even if you land this discard and say have like two adventures in your you know exile zone or adventure zone what have you ready to go off for the next turn like if you don't have a bunch of mana you're not going to be able to utilize the cards like you're not actually drawing two cards what you're actually doing is like getting chandra's ability where you're like exile a yeah. card and you can cast it that yeah turn. Like, and you're like casting light a worse light at this stage yeah like this card this card wants you to have cards in your hand when you like after you cast it and like you you can't unless you already have a ton of lands to play and at that point you probably should have won anyway like i can see this maybe like making it into some weird combo deck or whatever but like the way the card works 
Like, the first two abilities don't synergize with the third ability in any way. They are yeah. directly I mean, fighting like, with each other. And uh, I've seen builds with, like, zero mana spells, like Cheerios, with this kind of card. And they're like, sure, if that, that like, maybe that's a tier two deck now. But you're still playing a deck with, like, 16 bricks in it, hoping yeah. to rip Song of Creation, and then crossing your fingers your opponent isn't playing Narset. Because if they put Narset in their deck, how are you winning? You are fucking dead. <laughs> Or yeah. if they just kill this thing. Like, what if they just wilt it? That's the other thing, too. They're like, all right, trigger on the stack. They're like, yeah, I discard, you discard <laughs> yeah. your hand. Pow. It's like, kill your shit. Like, yeah. You know, if you try to pass the turn with the adventures in the exile, they just untap and go like, okay, yeah, but, like, you know, gem razor, thrashing brought on. Now, again, we're, we're probably, we're going to be wrong just as much as we're going to be right on this list, right? But this card to me, the artwork's amazing. The card is really cool. I can't wait to play it in some form of magic. I really want to cast this card. I think this card is probably absurd and limited if you can cast it reliably, but I am not a believer yet. Just I keep thinking this, though. Like, half the cards in this list, I'm just like, yeah, just another card's busted with Astrolabe. But anyway. <laughs> well, where this card is actually busted is with Rituals, but we just don't have Rituals in Pioneer. Yeah, right? like, people are talking about it in Modern and Storm, and I'm not sure I see it just because, like, I don't think you want a four-mana card in Storm other than, like, Gifts Ungiven type thing, you yeah. know, because Gifts mean, Ungiven it, just wins the game, but, like... I mean, the, this card often wins the game when you cast it with, like, three mana floating in Storm, right? Like, yeah. Can you imagine just casting, like, you know, Ritual, draw two. Mana Morphose, draw three. You know, keep going. True. I can definitely see this card doing doing something in that kind of deck, but we just don't have those kinds of tools in Pioneer. Yeah, it's just, like, like the thing is, is, like, you have to think of opportunity cost, too, right? Like, for every card you put into your deck, you have to take something out. And this is a combo deck that has not changed much in the last, you know, <laughs> seven years or whatever. Yeah. Sundial of the Infinite. There we go. There's our combo. Done. Done. In the turn. 88. In the turn. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. I've drawn my cards. I am ready. <laughs> it's not let's go. It's you go. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. So uh, um, what is your most overhyped card? My most overhyped card is Fiend Artisan. Somebody called it earlier in the chat. Sorry, yeah. I didn't note your name, but good call. Um, Can I say something real quick? I, was, I, I had this as my most overrated card, but I didn't want us to overlap. So go ahead. Okay. But the, the very first time that I streamed, uh, when we had a significant number of Ikoria cards previewed, I got like five people asking about Fiend Artisan. And every single time I had to be like, what card is that again? And look it up. And I just looked up Fiend Artisan five times over the course of three hours. Um, and uh, I every single time I looked at it, and was just, I just came away unimpressed. And part of the issue is like, I don't think you ever get to maximize this card. When you read it, there's a lot of text on it. You're like, oh, it's like Tarmogoyf, but it's also like Birthing Pod. And you imagine, oh, I'm paying two mana and getting Goyf plus Birthing Pod stapled together. But you're not actually doing that because you can't get the benefits of Goyf, which is attacking and blocking, while also utilizing the activated ability. So you're literally getting, you're getting you know, the, uh, the better of the two that you want, right? But it's also a significantly worse Birthing Pod. So you're getting like a much worse Birthing Pod or a Tarmogoyf that you have to work much harder for. So you're getting the, the what is called the ceiling, in, in mathematical parlance actually, this is a mathematical function, but the ceiling of that set. But it's a set of two pretty mediocre cards. Like, nobody played Boneyard Worm. Like it, that, that's already a card that has been printed. So like, when you talk about this card being a Tarmogoyf, well, it's not really, because if it were a Tarmogoyf, Boneyard Worm would have seen play, because that would have also been a Tarmogoyf. 
And like, would you play this card if it didn't have that first set? Or would you be this excited about, about it if it didn't have that first ability? Probably not, because it would be this really clunky 1-1 one -one that just dies. So it does a lot of things, but it does a lot of them mediocre. Yeah, Bigfoot, six foot six. It does nothing well. It's just mediocre at everything it does. That's exactly what I said when I was talking to Ross about this card. He just took the words right out of my mouth, or they just took the words right out of my mouth. It it does things okay, right? Like, it just doesn't do any of them really, like, exceptionally. We could be wrong. You know, this card could be could be powerful. I think it's super overhyped. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a powerful card. I just don't want to play this in my decks because like didn't do you build like a toolbox in your deck but then what happens when like you don't activate this card you have these random one-ofs in your deck you know what i mean it just leads to it it leads to too much stuff like i'm very happy that we don't have any team events coming up because brendan decandio would try to break this card and play it in every goddamn deck <laughs> and i would just hate his he, deck the entire time might build a deck that's worse than that blue white deck he played the uh, the classic Heart of Kieran, History of Benalia curve. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he would love this card so much that it might get worse. And I, I don't think decks get worse than that. Yeah, that was one of the worst ones I've ever seen. And uh, that's that's with it being improved than what he, what he really <laughs> yeah. wanted. We approved it the morning of the tournament or whatever. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I do think this card is overrated. So if you're looking to get this card... Um, you know, there's no reason to rush to get it in paper right now because we're not playing a lot of paper. I think you can wait a little bit and wait till the price comes down and possibly oh, yeah. get this for cheaper because it's expensive right now. Oh, yeah. It's one of the most hyped cards of the set, I think. And, like, I, I think it could be okay in, like, Rakdos Sacrifice and Standard. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because it works nicely with uh, with this Calder Familiar that keeps coming back. It's like, gives you something to sacrifice to it. You can also just find the Familiar when you need to set that up with... Uh, with oven or find the the mayhem devil to like you know assemble all the synergies and then once the synergy is assembled it starts attacking uh as like a four four but that that you know the power level just isn't there i'm for not even loving or, that yeah yeah like even that like i wouldn't i i could see it going either way on that yep. like that's like oh that that might be kind of cool like i could see trying that out it's not oh my god that's awesome i'm putting that right here and if it doesn't work out i'm super surprised so yeah, the cards will be available in paper. Your local stores are still getting their shipments. Like I am buying are a, they? Uh, yeah, like I, I am going. I'm pretty positive I they, they are delaying the paper release. Uh, but I, 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 I would be surprised. If, oh, in a month. Yeah, like you, yeah, because I'm still. Yeah, it's getting delayed, but I'm still going to buy one for my local store, even if like we can't play, just as like a, you know, a, yeah. a wait. I mean, I would anyway, but you you want to support your local store. Paper release is delayed, except for APAC. They just really want to get their fucking Godzillas. I just hold on real quick. I, uh, I. I, I gotta admit, and it's funny that you brought this up. I gotta admit because you're gonna make fun of me or whatever. But they got me with this set. I, uh, I I called my local game store owner and I was like, "Hey, get me a Japanese box, please." They got me. <laughs> I got two Trying Japanese boxes of uh, War of the Spark, and I wouldn't mind getting another one. But I'm definitely gonna get a Japanese box of this, at least one. Um, I love foreign cards. Uh, I like the cool artworks. You can get all of the artworks relatively easily on Magic Online. Uh, sorry, Arena. So I'm I'm excited for that. Because I'm I'm excited to cast some Godzilla's on people, dude. Like, let's go. <laughs> uh, none none of that appeals to me, but uh, you know, if it appeals to you, that's cool. It just uh, doesn't hit me at all. Um, I also I, like when I like when I need like foreign cards. I like foreign cards that I can read, and like I don't read any of any of Korean, Japanese, Chinese. So that like all just looks like you know arbitrary symbols to me. Uh, so I you know it just uh, isn't really appealing. So usually when I go for foreign cards, I go for like the European languages. 
that I have some chance of reading. Yeah, I can read a little bit of some stuff, obviously, like a little Spanish, little yeah, French, whatever. Yeah, all the romance languages. But it's it's funny, you're like, I like, you know, foreign cards and I can read. I'm like, hey, it's funny because I technically do speak another language, but it's not readable. You can't it's actually... Not a written language. Yeah, it's not a written language, so... Yeah, so, yeah. interesting. Um, anyway... Yeah, I'll, I'll go for, like, German cards or French, something like that. I will say this, there there are specific cards that I like in their, uh, their German form or in specific languages, oh, but yeah. because the name is super cool. Any any old card that says interrupt on it, I'm in. Utersprechungsauber, give it, give me one of those. One of my favorites, remember right? It's like Soren, um, El Señor del Innistrad is is really good, <laughs> and good uh, like I think Lightning Bolt is Blitzkrieg or whatever and stuff. Oh, you yeah, know, the like German the, Lightning Bolt's a classic. Oh, the German. The, but... Uh, there's, there's a really good recent one, and I can't remember what it is. Somebody, somebody definitely uh showed, showed it recently, and I was like, man, I, I want to buy four of those in German. Because it says, like, best friend or something on the card or whatever, or it's, like, friend of something. And the way it translates in German is just so perfect or whatever. So, Oh, yeah. It's great. Um, so that's where I am on foreign cards. Hopefully you crack well with your uh, Japanese box, Tannen. Good luck with that. Uh, I will uh, probably, and- if I get it and we're still quarantined, I'll probably just crack it on air. So. Oh, yeah. That sounds great. We can, I'd be there for that. Yeah, we could do an episode and then uh, we'll do a live episode and then crack the box or something. So. Um, yeah, every time I've great. ever cracked a box on air, they have been absurd. And maybe I'll just get two, so we can have a little fun. Nice. Yeah. And then maybe I'll do like a giveaway or something. We are moving on to our most underrated cards in the set here for Pioneer in Ikoria Lair of Behemoth. And for Tannen, most underrated card, and I see a, a neutralize. And so this isn't just specifically neutralize. Uh, we just wanted to give you a, a picture as like an example. There were a few others, but. All of the cards in this set, like specifically a lot of the uncommons and commons that are cards that were printed already, but have cycling stapled onto it, are very good. Like, Neutralize, uh, Cancel is, and Forms of Cancel have been a very playable magic card, right? There's a lot of games where you're looking for ways to do things in your deck, and you just have this counterspell, and you're like, I, 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 don't, I don't want this. I, I would I would loot this away if I could, and now your card just has that ability. Like putting flexibility on a card just makes it good, right? Like go back to us talking about wilt earlier in this, because when I'm thinking of neutralize, I'm thinking of neutralize. I'm thinking of wilt. You know, um, I think there's one in almost every color in this set. There's a green one that's two and a green that exiles up to three enchantments and then has uh, cycling. And if mono white stays a good deck in the format. If this black-white... Have you seen this black-white deck that's getting popular? Um, the Orzhov Aura. Oh, the Doom Foretold deck? The Doom Foretold deck, or even the Orzhov Aura. The most recent, if, uh, most recent PTQ. If all of those decks are playable, like just paying three mana to be like, I'll take that, that, and that, and it exiles, that yeah. card is just good, right? You know, just stuff like that. There's a bunch of cards like that. In the set. I think there's a red card that... Um, yeah, Shark Typhoon is getting mentioned. I do actually like Shark Typhoon in Standard. I don't know about Pioneer. It seems a yeah. little slow. Um, Shark Typhoon, not not up there for Pioneer, but I agree that that card's been impressive in Standard, yeah. and I think it's actually very, very good in Fire's decks, because you get to just use your mana and cast you, like, you basically get a third spell. Yeah. I think it's actually good. I think you're going to play, like, three or four of them. Yeah, so um, there's a red one in the set. If I remember right, it's, like, four damage to a flyer, I think, Shatter, like, destroy an artifact in Cycle. Yep. And Yeah, the split card. If that card fits right in the format, like think about if Chunky Red was still very good in the format, right? And like the mirror was prevalent. Like you now have a card that 
uh, kills, you know, Glorybringer and, and, and some other cards that are relevant, like good flyers, but is also shatter in your sideboard. So yeah. in matchups where, like... Where it's, like, awesome against spirits, still good against, like, it and Soul. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's still good there. Like, think about it if... Okay, so think about this. If you're playing, um, like, Team of Wreck, or... Because I've seen that deck pop up a little bit in Pioneer. Or if you're playing a, a Lotus Breach deck, Spirits is good against you, right? Like, you know, it's just a good deck against you. You have this card that kills that, but also kills Dampening Sphere. Dampening Sphere. Sorry, I did, the, yeah. I did the thing. And if you don't need it and you're digging for gas, Cycles. That would be an awesome sideboard card against Spirits out of yeah. uh, any combo deck. And so these are the cards that have slipped through the cracks over the last year. Like, let's think about, like, besides the obvious ones, right? Like, you know, you think Aether Gust, which, uh, by, by the way... Shredding Sails is the red card. Yeah, Shredding Sails. Uh, besides cards like, or you know, Aether sales. Gust and Summer's Veil, like, obviously those cards were busted. And I 100% believe they should actually just ban... Uh, Aether Gust and Standard, and it's not me doing the like, oh, like we have a problem card, let's just ban it. It's just like, please make cards playable in Standard. Like you literally handcuffed eighty percent of this. Of this, do you know you can gust every ultimatum in the set, and almost you can gust eighty percent of this set pretty much. Like that just makes so many things unplayable. People are playing main deck gusts right now, and like that's just yeah, already. like come on, <laughs> like come on, get just get out of here with that shit. Like like that's just miserable, right? But when I think about stuff yeah, like they they pushed those that cycle too far. And the hilarious part is that, like, Fry, they're just like, oh, yeah, by and the Fry's way, we're going to print our yeah. own Oko. So, yeah, it's just, it just makes you so mad, right? And then when I think of some of the other cards, too, that, like, slipped through, like Return to Nature, you know, it was kind of, uh, in, you know, like, just inconspicuous at first. And then, like, it's getting played in Legacy. And what is it, Clean to Dust is getting played in Legacy now? That's a card I remember um, when it got printed, Lawrence Harmon and some people were talking to me about it. And they're like, hey, what do you think this is as a one-of in, like, Delver sideboards? Because... It's just so good. And, like, it's getting played now because of Uro, right? It's a card that you can put yeah. into your graveyard. It does a good effect when you need it to, right? Or you can cycle it. Or you can, yeah. yeah, or you can gain three life when you need to in a, in a matchup. Like, I, I, I saw a game the other day where someone bolted someone for, for lethal, and he's just like, all right, LOL, gain three life or whatever. Or, or, you know, cling to dust to counterspell it, you know, or whatever. And little things like that, right, slip through the cracks, but have such huge effects and stuff you got to watch one of it happen in real time like do you remember when i started playing a braid in my sideboard of the the delver decks when like that just became a thing yeah so i had this extra card in my sideboard that was like good against death and taxes right but was also good in matchups that i had a problem with where like they were bringing in like ensnaring bridge or something like that right yeah, extra chalice answer yeah bridge answer you know like it was Painter. A, it came in in so many matchups i remember i remember you you questioned me in one matchup like and rightfully so when i was playing against burn in one of the things and i brought in that and you're like you're bringing in a two mana answer to like they almost like never have a creature's goblin guide or eidolon on the play but i'm like dude they bring in ensnaring bridge in the matchup too yeah and you're like and oh like, yeah okay if they bring yeah. bridge yeah like, bring it in <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah just the flexible cyborg cards i'm just such a big fan of and like this is a good example because this one's also like main deckable and it's just so good, too, because you're going to be playing a lot of, like, best of one. It looks like that's a lot of the way that Magic's going in the future, especially on Arena. And so these cards are going to get played a lot in, because Pioneer is going to be in Arena at some point, and we might have best of one Pioneer. And, uh, and and sooner, possibly, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, they moved up the date a ton on eight-man drafts. That, that's happening, or eight-person drafts. That's happening within the next few weeks. I'm super excited about that. So maybe we get Pioneer, like, this year. You know, that would be insane, because, like, here's the thing. Those people, like... They probably have less on their hands than they did before. You know, they can't go into the office. There's there's a lot of stuff that's not going on. So you have time to like just do a lot of code, man. Let's go. Let's get this stuff. Let's get this stuff done as quickly as possible, right? Eight minutes might be Thursday, right? Like I don't have the date right. I don't remember the exact. I didn't want to say the wrong. I didn't want to be like tomorrow and it's like actually Monday or something, right? So 
Uh, thanks, chat. Always got our backs on getting the because yeah, they all they know the details. We'll figure it out. I'm never right. Chat is always right. I'm not making a joke. That's a hundred percent true. But <laughs> I'm just a big fan of these cards, and they have huge effects on games when you don't realize it. Right? Like your sideboard is like some of the most important stuff in Magic because like you know if you have a bad matchup but you have a good sideboard for it, you've got a shot. You know you're gonna win some games you're not supposed to win and. Cycling is one of the best, if not the best, abilities ever printed on a Magic card. A lot of the like biggest name pros, like Ben S, talks about this a lot. He wants cycling to be evergreen, and I I don't hate it because you get to play the game more. The cards are cooler. You know, you'll miss your third land drop a lot less with cards like this in your deck. You know, just think about this: like you have neutralize in your opening hand, right? You keep a two lander. You're, you're not going to hit your 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 third land. You're worried about it. You can cycle it because here's the thing: you don't hit that third land. You're not casting this fucking neutralize anyway, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's card's not going to be let's, good. Let's get to step one first. <laughs> yeah, because like they're probably casting stuff too, and you're going to need to interact with their with their board, and, and neutralize isn't going to get you there. So, big fan of just like the whole cycle of cards that just have cycling tacked on is what it feels like. So, I think this set is going to be very impactful in fringe and or sideboard cards as much as like that cycle of like aether gust and stuff. Like, you're just going to see a ton of these make play for. In a lot of formats. Perennially, when it comes to card evaluation, the cards that get overrated are always cards that are really flashy, but don't play as well as they read. And the cards that are underrated are cards that mitigate variance and do something narrow, but do it very efficiently. And anytime the metagame turns to where that narrow effect is good, doing that narrow effect in an efficient, mana-efficient way becomes really powerful. Yeah. You know... Maybe you don't want shredded sales in your sideboard for the full year, but for six months out of the year, it's awesome. It's it's like this. Um, modal cards have been very popular in the history of Magic and very good, right? You know, you think of like the most famous one probably ever is like Cryptic Command, right? You know, cards that do this or this or and, you know, and or, you know, something like this. And it doesn't say it on there, though, if you read it this way, this is a modal card. It's three mana counter a spell or two mana draw a card, right? And they can't interact with cycling. You know, obviously, like, there's, like, ways to stop abilities, whatever. But, like, cycling does not use the, the stack in the way that a spell does. You can't counterspell someone from drawing a card from this or whatever. You can't just, like, strand this, whatever. So think of all of these as modal cards, and you'll start to see what I mean by, like, these are underrated, and they're going to see a lot of play, and they're going to be very good. CZL0602, they get it. The two best words in Magic and or. All of the, almost yeah. all of those cards have been busted or very good. Like, yeah. You know, th think of Azorius Charm. That's a good point, Burning Lotus. Like, that card is two mana. You know, put an attacker on top of its library or two mana draw a card. Azorius Charm is one of my favorite cards of all time. It's in my favorite deck of all time. I played Demir Charm, like actual factual Demir Charm in Delver for a long time. Actually, there was about a year where Sultai Delver was very good. And I always had a one of Demir Charm in my sideboard because it was good in multiple. It was just good in multiple matchups. Like, I could kill a Delver or a DRS while also doing things in other matchups. And, like, didn't it counter a sorcery or something like that? What was it? Yeah, it was counter sorcery, destroy something with CMC two or less, or look at the top three cards of target player's library, put one on top of the rest of the graveyard. That that mode, no, I think you get to rearrange it. I'm not sure, but that mode doesn't happen. But in a format where DRS and Delver were the two most played decks, Jund was played a little bit at the time, so it killed most of the good threats out of Jund, and, like, it killed Termogoyth. And then um, Miracles w was a popular deck. Like... Just yeah. having that, this just falls in. We can we can have this conversation for about, show and tell. Yeah. yeah, it's show and tell. We can have this conversation for about two hours, right? Of the cards that just you know the abrade like card, you know stuff like that. So um, just think about cards like that, and these cards are going to be very similar in that vein. All right, sorry, we went a little deep on mine. I apologize because it was more oh, no, than one. Great. 
Yeah, what, what and, is... and it really gets into the heart of what people miss with mm. card evaluation. Everybody wants to discover the new hot build around me that might get banned. And, like, you know, a lot of magic is just grinding out those small edges when you're the one playing slightly better cards and you have a really well-crafted sideboard. Like, that's that's how winning magic is done. You know, it's sort of like our equivalent of, you know, drive for show, putt for dough. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, you know, what are the skills that people, like, want to learn versus the skills they should learn if they want to be better? I always have a good smile on my face whenever someone says that. That describes my uh, high school competitive golf career quite a bit. <laughs> or whatever there is um so i was the worst player on the best team in the state you know still got my ring you know, like whatever you know still got that state championship or whatever but you know i was pretty good for like a self-taught you know 15 or 16 year old but there was this guy that um every year he would be like we would take the top five players he would be like number six right and this guy out drove me by like 30 yards he was like a club and a half longer than me right and the second or third year in a row that i that i beat him out for the last spot um he's like i don't get it he like, you know, he said exactly what I said. He's like, I, you know, I'll drive you by a mile. I'm a club longer than you. Like, how do you just keep beating me? And I was like, dude, a three foot putt and a 300 yard drive count the same on the scorecard. I don't miss those three foot putts and you do, you know, like, um, I was a very boring player to watch. I just like, you know, just hit it down the middle. Like wasn't super long, had a really good short game. I was really creative and like, I get up and down from everywhere kind of thing. So I didn't mess up you know, kind of stuff. So yeah. I always get a good giggle when someone says that. And now never I'm just had those like six, never had those like six, seven holes, but you're consistently, yeah. I mean, at, at yeah, your yeah, level, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever the, a lot of pars, whatever your par is, yeah, you know, a lot of pars. Yeah. there's par on the course. And then there's like, you know, par for you, but like, yeah, yeah. you're, you're consistently hitting that every hole yeah. as opposed to like, you know, wild all over the place. It was really funny to watch our team because we had three guys. Uh, we had, so it was it was it was five of us. So the other four, we had three guys that were better than scratch. You know, one dude that was scratch, and then there was me, right? So when you watch us play, you'd watch all of them hit for a minute, and you'd be like, "Man, this team's ridiculous." And you watch me, they're like, "Oh, oh, that that brings the average back down a little <laughs> yeah, bit because yeah. they were okay, we, they we were got the, a shot now, boys." <laughs> yeah, they were they were the full package. Like they could just bomb it. They could they could putt. They could work the ball. Like I think every one of like three of the four went on to play D one golf. You know, D one D two golf. Like they were very good. Anyway. Wow. Like one of them even okay. played on the uh, the tour that's not the PGA Tour. It's changed its names a million times. It's like the Hooters Tour, the, the Buy, tour. the Nationwide, the Buy.com Tour. It changed his name a bunch. He was yeah, like, whoever was sponsored. Yeah, he was actually like he led the he led the tour in birdies at one point. He's very very good. Anyway, continue. I liked uh, I like Max Pincus's comment. A young Jim Furyk. Yeah. Just random golfer. Love love the weird uh, so weird references. Yeah, but. weird weird reference. So Jim Furyk's one of the, like the most boring golfers ever to watch. Besides the fact that his swing is heinous, it's like really weird, right? He has a really funky swing from when he was a kid. Very good, right? He's made a lot of money. Like I would love to have his career, even though it's not flashy. You know, he is uh, one of the yeah. few players with a fifty nine. Yeah, it's a him, David Duval. <laughs> That's a blast uh, for the past. I don't remember many other ones, but yeah, David Duval uh, shot a fifty nine. Was the best golfer in the world, and then fell off a freaking cliff not literally fell off a cliff just he like he, he got the yips out. yeah he got the yips or whatever just could never recover charles barkley's swing is the ugliest thing i have ever seen on god's green earth it's literally I, the, I the, once had it uh i once had it listed on my facebook account under things that inspire you charles barkley <laughs> at least you're better like there's someone always worse right yeah not not Charles Barkley. It was literally Charles Barkley's golf swing. It's the if if anybody's interested and you just want to know what we're talking about, just YouTube it for like a minute and you'll you'll have a good laugh. It's the I, worst thing I've ever seen. I think he fixed the hitch. Um, I, think, I yeah. think that was from like a decade ago. 
I think he's gotten, and that was like, that was sort of him getting the yips at 1.2 because Michael Jordan just kept giving him shit over and over oh, again yeah. and beating him. And like, it was literally just Michael Jordan gave him the yips and gave him the hitch and well, he's gotten over it at some point. It, that wasn't even the first time. It wasn't just in golf. Golf was probably after he destroyed his NBA Oh yeah, yeah. And like, you know, Barkley thought he was the best player in the world and then like Jordan happened. And, it's like, no, yeah. you're really not. I mean, like, he calls that man and, multiple. And he is... He's one of the most underrated players, in my right. opinion, in, in NBA history. If you look at like, oh, for sure. just how incredibly efficient he was and athletic he was, nobody knows it now because of the way he is, but like watch him in, with Philadelphia in the 80s. Like, yeah. He's a monster. And he would have been so good in the modern game. The, the, He'd be good in like, today's game. Part about him, yeah. He would be so good about in the modern game because he was a little undersized, and that wouldn't be nearly as much of an issue. Though he like decries analytics, but analytics love him. And he hates the three and tells people to stop taking them. But he is one of the people who should have taken way fewer threes in his career. Like, he's unbelievably efficient. His, like, true shooting percentages are, like, 64 65%, which is, like, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant level. Um, and he did that while taking, like, three or four threes a game when that was a, a lot yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And making, like, 29% of them. It was, like, Russell Westbrook level shooting. If he had just not done that. You know, it, it was unbelievable. Like, it, it's so hilarious. Like, everything about his game is, like, analytically driven except that. And that's the one thing he yells out the most about. And he yells about analytics, even though his game is analytically driven. It's yeah. so, it, it's just... So, it, I, I don't know if you hilarious. saw some of the comments, but there's a uh, good lord, his swing. Uh, what did you guys yeah. just get me to watch? What is that? And, like, all the responses. People who actually went and listened yeah. to us oh, on yeah. YouTube that... Disco Shark, I completely agree. Zion Williamson is a modern Charles Barkley. Like if you, if, Tana, if you haven't watched Barkley play, like yeah, back I, in the day, I watched Barkley play. Zion yeah. is Zion is like Barkley. I had a uh, I had a Barkley T-shirt when I was a kid. Yeah, he oh god, it, it's it's still great. Hmm. Okay, we've got one more card each, and we are coming up on about two hours here. So why don't we wrap this one up and take some questions from the audience? But. We don't. I didn't prepare a drum roll sound effect. Maybe wait, I'll wait, wait. Do we do your? Do we do your underrated card? Oh, we didn't even do my underrated card. Yeah. Jesus. Well, okay. I talked too we got to do that first. We got to do that yeah. first. Just teasing, man. Too many tangents. Too many tangents. Okay. Another. I'm hoping this is a surprise for a lot of people. Fight as one. Uh, so for a single white mana, uh, you, we we just got done talking about how these are the best words. Choose one or both. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, <laughs> that was a, on purpose, by the way. Oh, yeah. You can give a human creature plus one plus one and, gain, and indestructible until end of turn and a non-human, uh, one or both. You know, another card that very efficiently does something very good, like a Johnny's Presence saw play, and this is, I think, just a strict, strict upgrade, right? Because it does what a Johnny's Presence does, and unless you have four mana and are targeting two humans or two non-humans, this card is going to be better than a Johnny's Presence. Um, um, have you tried this with Feather yet? Is that about this yeah, with Feather? obviously like, very good with Feather, a deck that we've seen pop up from time to time. So an upgrade for that deck, that is also a deck that plays a good mix of humans and non-humans. Dreadhorde Arcanist is a wizard, a zombie wizard, I think. Uh, Feather is obviously an angel, but then uh, Favorite Hoplite and 10th uh, District Legionnaire, humans. So a good mix there. You can go Jeskai and play Sprite Drake. A card I think it works really well in that kind of shell. Because oftentimes in heroic decks, you get to the point where you have too many creatures and not enough ways to target them to get the counters. And Sprite Drake says, okay, I'm going to be your extra creature, and you don't need to target me at all unless it's with protection. 
and I'll keep getting bigger at the same time. It was this, like back in standard, it was uh, Seeker of the Way that kind of filled that role with prowess. Maybe Monastery Mentor that gave you value while you were targeting your other heroic cards. Uh, and if it's your only creature, then sure, target it and it'll still get counters, Sprite, Sprite Drake. And that's another non-human that you can play in these kinds of decks. So I think Fight as one works really, really well. Even in like, you know, a white aggro deck, like you have Venerated Loxodon, you probably have some other non-humans. You, you can, you know, work the numbers to make this card very, very good um, as your second protecting spell on top of God's Willing. And I think it it just it plays so well in that regard for just one mana that I definitely see it you know just boosting that deck and then being a good enough card to even make it into other archetypes. So it really you know both of us going that same way. Like the cards that get underrated are these like not so flashy, but they do one thing really really well, or they are never bad. You know those are the two the sort of two ends of the spectrum. You're either really narrowly powerful. Warriors never bad, and sometimes you're both if we tack like cycling onto this card. But I, I expect that this card to immediately make it into the feather decks. Um, and honestly, like I'm, I'm trying to work it into other decks too to try to figure out exactly how far we can push it. Yeah, big fan of this card. Uh, I think it's really really good. I'm looking forward to first picking this in limited. I think this card is just has unbelievable blowout potential. In, in any game of Magic that it's in. And for one mana, that's more than you can ask. This is a one mana spell that will win games. <laughs> Ruined Epis. Wait, this card's also an instant? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this card is very, very good. good um, but let's wrap this up and finish this recording so Brent can get started on editing it because I'm sure it's going to be nonsense for him this week. So top card in Pioneer for uh, from Ikoria, Lair of the Behemoth. First one from the Tan and Grace, as you can read on his hat. Tan, lean down a little. <laughs> Is Loris of the Dream Den. Probably not very surprising, and also not surprising that it is my number one as well. So both of us here in agreement. And I know I talked down on the companion mechanic uh, earlier in the stream or in the show. But this one, I think, is an exception. Um, it is... One of the ones that I think has the least amount of um, opportunity cost in using it as a companion. So there, there's plenty of decks. There's one even in Pioneer, Ors of Auras, that we've talked about that doesn't, you know, you don't have to do anything to be able to play this card as a companion with your game one configuration. The deck is all permanents that cost two or less. It works really well in that deck. We saw it earlier on Versus Live today, if you were watching that show. Uh, Corey played it, it as a companion in that scales deck with Ozoloth, and that's why they went to Artifacts, so they could play it. It was all two mana and down. It was incredible in that deck, because it, with Metallic Mimic, you can actually cast the Walking Ballistas and Hangerbacks for zero from your graveyard. <laughs> that's and insane. One, one, and then they get the extra counters from all your Hardened Scales effects. It was uh, really, really impressive. It made it, trying to contain that deck with removal so much harder. So there's two decks that this card immediately slots into really, really well um, uh, with, and honestly, like, I I could even go further. Like, you could build a black aggro deck with all ones and twos and then spells. If you're a very spell-heavy deck, you can just have this in your sideboard against aggressive decks and just cast it on turn three as a lifelinker. So obviously, also, I am a huge, I'm huge on this card as well in the fact that I think that this card... I hate to keep saying this. I, th I think this card has the chance of being another companion that gets banned just because of the ubiquity of it. Um, 
the cost on building a deck this way is not super high. Remember that it says permanent, so you can still play cards of a different, you know, casting cost of spells. Yeah, so that still works. The amount of decks this automatically fits into to just give you an eight-card hand to start with is absurd, right? And it's still a decent card. Like, people talked about this in, like, Modern Burn, um, Modern uh, Infect. You know, you're thinking about some of the, you know, decks that just don't have permanents that cost more than two in them. Um, there's a lot of legacy decks that are already trying to incorporate this card. You know, the, the formats where you have zero drops that are pretty broken, like getting back LED and stuff like that seems really, really disgusting and good. And you can Dark Ritual this card out, which is kind of gross. You know, just a lot of cool stuff like that. It's it's another spell that can't be... In Vintage, you can just play Black Lotus and sack it and cast it from your sideboard and then recast the Lotus. Yep. And you're just like, I'll start the game with a 3-2 lifelinker. Yeah, exactly. Is like, that good? I don't know. This card is going to get bad. played in a lot of places. And it's going to be really, really scary. Like Lotus Field is another one. There you go. Um... So, I mean, I, I had a list somewhere, and I forgot where it was, of, of like decks right now that could just, you know, jam these in. Like, I think of the Black White Auras deck that we keep talking about that keeps, you know, it's right there at tier two, right? You know, it wins a tournament every now and then, it does well a tournament every now and then. You, have, you might have to change up a few cards in the list, but that deck can definitely function at two or less in place. Here's the other thing. If you want to play a card that costs three in your deck because it's very good in your deck, you can still just cast this card. It's still very good to just cast this card in your deck as like a four of, right? And yeah, yeah. it also has lifelink. So there's a lot of, you know, some some cool things in there. I can think of, you know, some, some decks that you just want this creature, like just the extra body that's sitting around. And it's not really an opportunity cost that hurts you. So... Yeah, exactly. Zoo and modern, uh, some some forms of Death Shadow, though. Death Shadow usually you has want to a, be the versions with Tarmogoyf and not Gurmag Angler. Yeah, I was say losing Gurmag Angler or some of the Planeswalkers kind of sucks, but being able to cast your Death Shadows over again and stuff like that. It, it works with, kind of with Croxa. You just like Raven's Crime Mode and bolt them every turn. Just bobble over and over again. Um, yeah. So is, is this card better than some of the other high drops I play in Mono Black? Adder I don't think you can play this in Death Shadow. You lose Street Wraith. Someone has talked about, and that makes it. Well, you can't play it as a companion. You can put it in your deck. I don't think I would want it. You in probably a slot don't want to deck. deck it in yeah. Shadow. But yeah, you do lose Street Wraith. That that's a problem. So with with Shadow, not so much. But like you know, Bor- Burn. Uh, there's just so like this is not only I think one of the least restrictive companions, and like I, I've I mentioned that I've been on the other side of this where I think people are overhyping companion. I agree with them that the mechanic itself is incredibly powerful. Being able to start the game with an eighth card in your hand that presumably has a lot of synergy with what you're doing is an incredibly powerful tool. But from what I've seen, the costs for having the companions has been incredibly high as a result. And I've liked that because, you know, it needs to be balanced. This one seems like both a very powerful effect and relatively cheap to fit in your curve and one of the you know least costly companion uh, restrictions that exists. So you know th- my qualm or my, my reason for be- thinking companion is overrated is due to the cards themselves. It's not anything to do with the mechanic in general. So you know this card really it does you know Johnny B- Boy Bowen. You're right. It demands a removal spell. So you know you, you, like because otherwise anything else if it's your companion anything else you kill it can just bring back. And this was the problem I ran into in uh, playing today against Corey. He would play a threatening card on turn two, and I would want to, like, fatal push it if they were on the play. But, 
Like, am I going to do that when they have Luris coming down next turn? I'm like, no, i got to save this push for the Luris. And uh, otherwise it's going to do nothing. And then they get, they, so then I'm off curve two because I didn't get to use my man on turn one. Now I've got to use it on turn three and try to set that up. It just made, it made everything I did extra awkward. And if I didn't have removal, it just meant like I had no chance of, uh, you know, disrupting the synergies that were present in his hardened scale stack and he just ran me over. So I, I'm enamored with this card. Yeah, it's I, very good. I think it's very good. The list is very long of things you could do with it. None of which is fair. Which is, you know, the the sign of a of a card that's very very strong, right? And yeah, we could be, you know, we could find later that these cards are okay, you know, like they're they're good but not too good. But this is the one that stands out, right? This is the one that screams "break me." This is the one that has people worried, you know. This is the scary one. Um, I'm a big big fan of this card. I think it's going to be really really good, and I think it's going to break a lot of things. And it's going to get frustrating playing Magic in the future where your opponent just gets eight card hands, right? Like um, one of the decks you were playing today, I forgot which one, in uh, in Versus today, I was like, hey, why didn't we just have this companion? Like it was free for you to just have this card. And <laughs> we haven't even really started thinking about it that way. You know, we talk about it when we look at the cards, but from now on, when you build a deck, this should be like, you should have companions. Like I joked about it, and if I was playing, like, old-school Rug Delver before you started playing, like, Planeswalkers in it, would I just put this as my companion to throw off my opponent from knowing what I was playing? I'd just, like, reveal this and be like, hey, this is my companion. Because I can just have it as my companion because it oh, my, my deck fits the fits the, the role. Sure. I mean... I don't know, like, what I that would do. I can't imagine wanting to do that. Well, but if, like, I'll if tell you this. They're, you're... they're going to mulligan to Force of Will. You think so? Yeah, like, if this is in your legacy deck, I'm not attacking you with this card. Like, I'm killing you with the ability. Like, I'm putting LED <laughs> in the play again or something, you know, like something broken like that, you know? Um, it's not, and that's the thing. Someone said 14-card sideboard for the troll, funny but likely bad. Is This is a 16th card, right? Like, you get your 15 cards plus companion, right? No, no. Oh, it's hard. It takes okay. up a sideboard slot. But I'm just saying, like, just just ideas like that. Like, you know, the, the fact that there's so many decks that these just fit into, and there's no reason not to have them. Like, we joked about um, the companion that taps for Wooberg, you know, taps for one of every color, it's just... Gigantha. It's, you'd have to change, like, one card in your deck to make it free in the Niv-Mizzet decks, and it just taps to cast Niv-Mizzet, right? Also taps to activate Golos. Yeah, it taps like, to activate you know, Golos. Yeah, that's another really sweet one I haven't even thought of. So, like, these cards are very good and very powerful, and we're gonna have to start thinking about this a lot. Like, you're gonna need a very good reason not to have a companion card in a standard deck. Like, not to have a companion, right? Like, if it's just a free card, game one. Like, you're going to need to... Yeah, it, yeah, if it's free in your deck, but I think mo the companion restrictions on most of the cycle are just very, very far from free. But this one is very close to free in a lot of different decks, and still a reasonable card to main deck if you're, like, you're close but don't want to sacrifice, you know, what whatever three or four mana permanent yeah. you have. Uh, you can certainly still main deck it. So, I'm... That makes this card significantly better than the rest of the cycle to me, which is why I'm low on Companion in general, um, or at least the Companion cards, but quite high on Luris. Yeah, and so that, that just puts it there. I, I think that this is the... So every set, especially the last like year, there's a card or two in it that's scary, right? Like when you look at it, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, like I'm going to lose to this card a lot, or 
this card does some some messed up stuff and this is the card in this set it, this is the one that's generated the most hype this is the one that's generated the most like oh my god what are they doing you know like this is the card that's generated the most banned talk besides the otter you know because it got banned before it, it existed right so uh when you think about it in terms of playable magic cards i think this is a slam dunk number one uh along with a card that i think if any card's gonna live up to the hype this is the one right like we will be if some other card you know comes out of this one and is the uro of this set or is the oko of this set we'll be surprised right like we like the hype was not high enough on this card for what it did or there's gonna be cards that are disappointing right where you're like this card did not live up to the hype and like possibly this one does but this is the one that's going to do it if a card lives up to the utmost ceiling of a card this is going to be the one yeah i i completely agree and you know that's why we both have it as number one, which is, you know, we didn't, we both saw each other's list before we went live to coordinate everything, but we did not talk at all while we were both, you know, creating our list. So by coincidence, we ended up with three cards in the same slot, but we also have, we each have five cards on, on the same list. So, uh, you know, largely in agreement, some disagrees. We both have like, you know, I think basically all three, you know, cards from either side that isn't on the other person's list are probably cards that are in that 9 to 16 range for the uh for the other person. So, we're not too far off in the way we're evaluating this set. Um but we're certainly not far off in noticing how powerful Luris is and it, a lot of it just comes down to that low floor. Like what is the opportunity cost to put it this thing in your deck? What is the the worst case scenario? And trying to avoid worst case scenarios that are devastating is part of playing good magic and playing winning magic. It's like, you know, laying up in golf. Let's make more golf analogies. Like, sure. Sometimes you just got to lay up. You can't be tin cup and, and go for it on every shot. But I can hit the shot, Ross. <laughs> yeah, he can hit it. Just take some 12 turns, yeah. 12 tries or whatever. So, you know, Luris has that high payoff, but also the very high floor. No one remembers who won that tournament, but everybody remembers that 12. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that 12. Just like... Um, uh, Jean Vandeveld in mm. the 99 British the Open. The dude could have literally just used the 7-iron for the entire hole and been the British <laughs> Open champion, but for some reason takes the driver out of the... It's um, it's unbelievable if you watch that highlight. I'm going to go off on this for about 10 seconds. I remember <laughs> losing my mind watching it as like a 12-year-old or however old I was, losing my mind like as a freshman or sophomore in high school. And uh, the announcers like were very different. They were like, what is he doing? Like when he pulled the driver out, they're like, this is the, this is the Open Championship. Like, what are you doing? And one of the guys even said it. He like I think it was either before he hit the shot or right when like he hit the shot into the into the burn. It's called a burn, the little thing that the water, you know, the little thing where the water is that goes across. Um, they were like, one of them was like, I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in the history of golf. Like this guy just <laughs> gave away this tournament. It's it's literally ten cup happening in real life, right? Like it, that got spoke into being, you know, kind of thing. So let's not do any more golf analogies because we're gonna ostracize too many people. <laughs> Pronounce, hold on. Pronounce kayak asking, is Ross drinking a steel reserve? <laughs> That's actually that great. would be awesome if I were, but no, I have a crowler of uh, Star Hill uh, beer. It's a local brewery that I love. This is their, uh, hunt, it's called the Hunter. It's a graham cracker porter. This is quite good, and it is a, a large can. These are larger than steel reserves. This is a 32 ounce can. All right. And I'm almost done with it. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, watch you play more magic, because they're kind of here doing it now, or read some more of your stuff, where would they go? Okay. Um, Twitter, at Ross Hunnids. 
I try to respond to people. So if you have questions about anything, you can follow me there. I also tweet about when, you know, when I'm streaming, when content goes live. So that's sort of the central hub. So Twitter is the first thing. Second thing, versus live. We do it on the SCG, uh, Star City Games uh, Twitch channel. Me and Corey Baumeister, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. You know, we've been playing with Ikoria for weeks now. It's great. Uh, and we will continue doing that for, you know, at least the next week and a half. So uh, please join us there. We do take questions live from the audience. Uh, and if you can't join us live, they do go up a couple days later on the SCG YouTube channel. Then um, there is my written content. That goes up on Star City, usually on Tuesdays. We're doing some weird stuff with the scheduling. So this week's article is actually going to go up on Saturday, which is a weird day. So if you want to read my stuff, it's going to go up Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern time uh, for this week. And you know, Time has lost all meaning, just so you know. Yeah, it's going to go up on 11 a.m. on 420. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and we'll be fine. And then, um, and then my stream, which if you're not watching it, is twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam. Um, I don't have a schedule yet. I keep trying to set one up, and I will do that soon. Don't worry. I know I said for years that I was going to stream soon, and it took years for it to happen, but I promise you the schedule will happen sooner than that. Um, so, uh, you know, you if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get to learn when I'm streaming. Usually happens, like, Wednesdays and then over the weekend um, in general. But, uh, you know, if you give me a follow or, God forbid, a sub, I appreciate any and all support on all pieces of content. Uh, thank you very much. Um, for myself, uh, my Twitter is at the Tannen Grace. Uh, a lot of a lot of tweets going on there, but a lot of random stuff. Mostly magic, though. That's the that's the main thing. So I try to be very active on there. It's probably one of my guilty pleasures in life. I check Twitter uh, too many times a day. Like it's like I don't even you know people like scroll Facebook. I don't scroll Facebook. I, I scroll Twitter. Right. It's the perfect amount for me. Right. You know, like t like Facebook's too much sometimes. It's way too many ads. Way too many pictures. Uh, way too much stealing your shit, but you know. Anyway, love Twitter. Um, I'm on there all the time. I stream sporadically, um, but I might be streaming more in the future because of you know the staying at home stuff. And that's just Tannen Grace. Uh, if you see my name in the chat, I'm, I talk in the chats quite a bit. You can just click on it on there and just click follow. It's super easy to do that. The cast itself has a Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. Give us a follow on there. Uh, if you look at the pinned tweets in there, there's a link to our Twitter and a link to our Patreon. Uh, Patreon. We're huge. Huge, huge fans of all of our patrons. Thank you so much for all the support that you've been giving us lately. We really appreciate it, especially in this time. Uh, we understand what's going on. If you have to pull your support, please do. Like, we understand what's going on. We understand that not everybody's getting, you know, paid right now. They might have lost their jobs or worse in what's going on. And we want to do nothing but support you. Don't even feel like you need to apologize to us. Please don't. Just do what's best for you. Do what's best for your family. We love you guys and girls. Um... And we want to just keep putting out the best content that we can for y'all. And we're going to be here through all of this. And we're going to do it together. So when this is all back to normal, I'll you can come right back. there for you. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Someone was talking about Friends earlier. What did you talk about Friends on, on Versus Live today? Anyway. so um, Yeah, because uh, of General Kudrow. Yeah, like exactly. Kudrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. But uh, that's about it for this week's episode of the, uh, the podcast. Make sure that you give us follows on all the uh, subsequent sites that you follow your podcast on. So you can make sure that... Anytime it's not video, because this is not going to be a normal thing, though I do think this is something that we will look forward to doing in the future. I'll say this. I can almost guarantee that um, all of our uh, shows right before a set comes out are going to look like this in the future. We're going to be doing our top eights. We're going to be doing our favorite cards, overrated, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, kind of a, a cool thing that we're going to do on the next one for the next set, we get to revisit this one. 
and see just how wrong Ross was and just how right I was. So I'm super excited to well, see that. We agreed on five of the eight cards, so neither of us can be... If one of us is wrong, the other one is likely also yeah, wrong. Yeah, but like if you're just wrong and then I'm partially wrong, only partially wrong, like I'm partially right, then I'm just right because I was the only one who's right. Oh, yeah. We, we, we're going to decide who wins based on the six cards that we disagree on. So yeah, it's exactly. Kinnon, Wilt, and Sea Dasher Octopus against Triomes, Yorian, and Luminous Broodmark. I feel like I kind of have it like, not like locked up, but I have a, a kind of a lead. It's like so low low floor on the on the Triomes, so we'll have to see. You know, the lands showing up, like it's, just, just, it's probably just going to happen. But anyway, um, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Super excited to uh, do this again in the future. We'll probably have, we've got some fun stuff in the works too, especially for the patrons, so make sure you, uh, you stay watching. Anyway, thanks for listening. It's been fun doing it this week, and we'll see you all next week. And hey, everybody, be careful, wash your hands, and don't go outside. <laughs>